All right, everybody, I do believe we are live. Welcome to the Break the Rules stream. We are all the way live. I am Lev Polyakov at Levpo on Twitter, your humble host. And with me is the great and powerful Giovanni Panacetti, surrounded by beautiful ladies in his new Twitter avatar. Follow him on at Giant Geo. We'll follow it up me later, Lev. Yes, we shall. And follow me at Left Poe, forgot to mention that. We have Average Centrist, a newcomer to the stream. Welcome, Average Centrist. Thank you so much for coming in. And Thank we you. have got Arthur Bloom. Thank you so much, Arthur, for coming in. Um, you are a wonderful journalist, a great writer, and a great pleasure to have you here. We are going to be joined by Kathy Young coming in pretty soon. I believe she's coming in right now. So, guys... I am going to welcome Kathy Young to the stream as well. Don't forget to subscribe, patreon.com slash break the rules. You know how it goes. We need your support to keep growing. And when we grow, you grow as a result. I believe in manifest destiny. But anyway, let us also say hi to Kathy Young. Kathy, thank you so much for coming in here. I don't know if you're going to have the webcam on or not, but let me know if you can hear oh, us and if we can hear you. Yeah, I don't know why it isn't on. Hang on just a sec. <laughs> no problem at all. And uh, let me also, I'm going to share this avatar right now with everybody. I know, Gio, you said that you were going to share it, but it is just too good of an avatar not to share <clears throat> as the people are still going on to this stream oh, no, right yeah, now. You share, Lev. That's that's yeah. Here we go. Look at this beautiful avatar of Giovanni Panacetti and his harem. <laughs> it's like Eurasian despotism right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So great, Kathy. And here Young. we go. I'm yeah. on the video now. <laughs> yes, you are. Thank you so much for coming in, Kathy. So today, actually, for those who don't know, is a is a special holiday. It's a Yom Kippur. It is the Day of Atonement. And even though I should have been, um, uh, you, you know, celebrating it, you could. It's today. Yeah, oh. today is Yom Kippur. So even though I should have been in a way celebrating it at the least to do, you know, honor to my ancestors and all that. I think that we can celebrate it in a way here today. And celebrate isn't the right word because it's all about atonement. But right. I think in general, what this stream tries to do, and what I encourage people to do in general, is try to atone for having this idea that the people who you are speaking with are straw men, just are, you know, the absolute, like, worst idea of how you would portray the other side. So regardless of any opinions that any of us happen to have today on the stream, what I would encourage is to steal man as much as possible the arguments of the other side when it comes to the media, when it comes to uh, culture, when it comes to our civilization. And I think that when we do that, if we have uh, common sense, and I think that all of us here on the stream, as well as some people who are watching, do have enough common sense to be able to work through all of that difficulty so with that uh, i know gaf something uh, important to uh, say but before that i just wanted to ask uh, arthur kathy and uh, average centrist to well specifically arthur and kathy as far as why did you become a journalist in the first place were you forced to be one against your will? And if not, what was it that prompted you to become a journalist? And then I would love to also get a bit of an intro from Average Centrist as well uh, for all the people who do not know who you are. So let us start with uh, Kathy. You go first. Uh, sure. Well, you know, uh, first of all, I guess, uh, you know, was I forced to be a journalist? I don't know. I mean, how did it get forced to be a journalist? That's kind of a... <laughs> you know. um, 
I uh, actually uh, started out at like the age of probably like eight or nine wanting to be a writer. And uh, oh, actually, you know what? I, uh, I just remembered that like my first like foray into journalism was probably at the age of six. Like uh, my mom still has somewhere, like I wrote these little pieces uh, that were supposed to be like radio commentary. Like I was playing at like being a like radio, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I guess it was sort of like almost a podcast monologue. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was doing this at the age of like six or seven. And I had this whole persona where I was supposed to be an adult. And, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was supposed to be a, um, like a, a radio program about child rearing. <laughs> and I was, I think I was sort of like trying to impersonate like what would my mom say if she had a radio show. So I was a weird child. And, uh, you know, and, um, uh, like I was talking about like my daughter who was actually like me. <laughs> so this is uh, this was a very kind of surreal um, like little exercise in uh, in a podcast, I suppose. And remember, this was in the Soviet Union and like the 19 uh, the late 1960s where like the idea of somebody just you know, having their own show and like talking about whatever they wanted to talk about was just, you know, totally bizarre. But yeah, so this was my first um, try at being mm. a journalist. What was this back in Russia? Yeah, yeah, this was in, uh, I was six years old. I, I was, I lived in Russia until I was 16. So. And what part know, of Russia? Definitely, definitely in Russia. And I mean, I what? was also writing little stories. So, you know, mm. mostly I, I, I tried to write fiction. But yeah, I just remembered that this was like, this was my first uh, <laughs> attempt at journalism. Um, was this, uh, what, where in Russia were you born, by the way? Uh, Moscow. I mean, I wrote a book later called Growing Up in Moscow. So that, you know, that tells you that I did, in fact, grow up in Moscow. So, <laughs> that, um, that would be something if somebody grew up in St. Petersburg and then wrote Growing Up in Moscow just to, uh, you know, just, just to screw to around. Just to people, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. But that, uh, but, so, yeah, and that... anyway, so, yeah, then I uh, spent my uh teenage years basically like wanting to be a um a novelist and a poet so i was like writing stuff i remember that uh i wrote like at the age of i think 14 i tried to write a uh, mystery novel that was set in the united states this was after reading some american detective stories like i obviously had never been to america and you know i tried I, I tried to write this like American detective novel, which was not very good. I was also 14 years old and I tried to write about sex. So, you know, it was, I really didn't know a whole lot about it at the time. So 13 years and, old. You know, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I started like real journalism um, when I came here and uh, like initially I did some writing in Russian actually for a, a weekly paper that was published out of Queens called the New Gazette uh, in Russian. Mm. And uh, I didn't know there were Russians living in Queens. I assumed it was just a Brooklyn thing. No, no, there were lots of Russians. There were like little Russian enclaves in. I mean, I my family originally when we came here settled in yeah. Jackson Heights and then ended up moving to New Jersey. But yeah, but this was a paper that was published by um, a guy who lived in uh, Forest Hills. 
and uh, he uh, worked for Radio Liberty, but he also on the side like had this weekly newspaper in Russian, and I wrote for them. Um, I was like 17 years old, and uh, um, I did all sorts of like little feature stories and uh, book reviews, and uh, they were kind of very impressed with me because they thought I was this like young prodigy. And uh, anyway, I, um, uh, re I mean, I definitely wanted to like break into American journalism. Um, I. Uh, uh, was was a really really huge fan of George Will, and I can't believe that like he's actually still around and has a new book out because George Will was like my first That's role model. Like, oh, I really want to be like George Will, who you know writes a column three times mm. a week and can so so he is a uh, libertarian conservative political commentator. Writes yeah. for Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. Very interesting, right, and, so, and so and, and so and so from there, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, well, to make a long story short, I really don't want to, you know, keep this soul-centered on me, but uh, my, I started actually writing a column, which is, you know, what I wanted to do, like, that was my dream, when I went to Rutgers, uh, I, I was an undergrad at uh, Rutgers in, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and I opened the student newspaper and saw that they were looking for columnists. This was like day three of my freshman year at Rutgers. And I was like, oh, you know, I want to do this. And they were very excited because they didn't have like they they were like the whole diversity and inclusion thing was already starting. Uh, this was like 1984 because I had before that I had taken classes at a community college because I was kind of easing my way into American education. So, you know, so they were they were really looking for uh, female columnists because I think they had like at the time they, they, they had a, a nearly all male columnist lineup. And, uh, you know, I, they thought my point of view was interesting because I was uh, sort of socially liberal, but I was also really conservative on stuff like, you know, the Cold War. Uh, you know, I was very much like, you know, pro-Reagan <laughs> in terms of uh, like standing oh. up to the Soviet Union. And, uh, anyway, so yeah, so that's what, where, when I started writing and... Um, uh, that was really kind of the beginning of my journalism career. Uh, I uh, came to the attention of a uh, great English professor who was uh, putting together a sort of anthology of short uh, journalism pieces uh, as a reader for college students and wanted to include some student authors. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, I you know got a call from him saying, or a letter, I think this was like, before people had email yeah i think he just put a letter in my mailbox and i was like i'd like to republish two of your articles in my book I, oh wow that's like that's incredible and uh he was sort of my mentor he uh, connected me to some people who uh eventually like got me into uh, got, uh, on the track of getting my book published the one about growing up in moscow and then it was just kind of, you know, it just went on from there. So, and I mean, I, I really don't want to, again, I, I, I don't want to talk about myself that much, but I had a really well, kind of interesting career in the political sense in that I was really kind of all over the place politically because initially my entry into journalism sort of, uh, you know, had a lot um to do with the conservative press like I, I i think because of the stuff i wrote about russia you know and i think uh 
like I, I wrote at one point for the American Spectator, which at the time wasn't nearly as, you know, like, I mean, today it's like this really crazy, like really far right. Uh, um, uh, I wouldn't know about uh, that. But, well, we're, we're going to get anyway, into it. We're going to get into it. Far right, yeah. I've got a piece coming <laughs> okay. up in this next issue. <laughs> oh really seriously okay <laughs> see this is what we kathy this is what we do in btr we bring everybody together and we got to steel man each other's arguments here but Alrighty, uh so, yes you know, but, but but and then like you know i also ended up writing for a lot of you know much more mainstream press and then i you know landed at reason which is mm. uh, of course libertarian and, and uh, the newsday arc digital bulwark online you also wrote for the new york times I've written forever. I mean, I had a column at the Boston Globe for seven years. Yeah. I mean, I, wow. you know, before, like, my first, like, really professional mainstream media sort of outfit was the Detroit News. And uh, at one point, they actually offered me a job, like, you know, they wanted me to, like, join the, the editorial staff. And uh, they brought me out there, and I just decided that I really didn't want to live in Detroit. So, you know, that was, uh, it was uh, really not mm. like, the most enticing um, place to live. Well, so. I hope I hope Detroit's going to have its comeback. But now I'd like to go to uh, Arthur Bloom. Arthur, tell us about uh, yourself, why you got into journalism. Sure, yeah, my journey into far-right journalism. Um, <laughs> The uh, so I uh, I basically I, I I wasn't good at anything else or I found out that I was good at this. Um, I, I graduated from college and I was playing in a, a bunch of bands at the time, and uh, we recorded an album um, in in uh, the home base of, of DC hardcore, and then I eventually realized I needed to get a job, and uh, and so I, I interned at the Daily Caller, and it was a um, it was a great place to intern because you could get a lot of clips. I got something like 40 bylines in a couple of months, and uh, it was just a great place. And then I had an embarrassment of riches of, of jobs that I could have taken. Um, I, uh, I almost went to work for ISI, running their college journalism. So I did, a, I did some writing in college. I won a national reporting award. Um, mostly what I had done back then was arts journalism. I wrote book reviews and whatnot. Um, and uh, and so I kind of enjoyed that. And so I realized I was good at it. So I got this internship at The Caller. Uh, and then I had offers from Fox to be Chris Wallace's research assistant uh, and then uh, to work for ISI. And then the third one was this offer from the American Conservative. And uh, I kind of wanted to write for myself. Uh, I wanted my own bylines and things like that. So I picked tack. I did that for a, a year and a half. Uh, then I went back to The Caller as opinion editor. I did that for about three and a half years. Uh, and to be honest, so like I thought I made a big mistake when I, so um, I was at the caller for three and a half years and then I left for grad school. I really wanted to do um, research in a particular collection out in Kansas on uh, on informants and extremist groups on, on snitches, becoming a snitch expert. And uh, I thought I had made a big mistake, though, because uh, I started that program in the fall of 2016. And uh, I, I had just been editing the caller's opinion section, and I found that a lot of these people, I mean, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. And, uh, and so I had gone out there, and, uh, and then Trump, against the expectations of many people, won. And I thought I'd made this huge mistake because all these people that I had been editing for a long time were suddenly staffing the administration. I could have gotten a job or something. In retrospect, I, I don't think it was a mistake. I was really glad I got to do that research because it ended up being germane to a lot of stuff. 
But then I came back to DC. I got back into it, um, hosted a podcast for a while. I, uh, I quit TAC uh, about two months ago or a month and a half ago, something like that. Um, and I'm working on a couple of freelance projects, one of which is a sort of documentary podcast. So I'm just having a lot of fun. I, I want to be able to show that I can tell these sort of long form stories. And uh, that's that's the goal with this new podcast I'm working on. So that's that's it in a nutshell. Excellent. And finally, Average Centrist, you are new here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. Uh, okay, I don't even know where to fucking start with this shit. Um, I'm a working class geez from the UK. Um, I have a lot of opinions about a lot of stuff. I'm not as well read as some of you guys. I've been watching you guys for a while, by the way. Love your podcast. Like, I've been ah, loving you. this stuff. Yeah. I'm an assistant to an architect, so I work a lot from home. So nice. I've been listening to your stuff, like, the whole time, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, I don't know how how much my opinions are going to be valid to this discussion, but I do have some opinions about media. I do have opinions about journalism. Um, I don't know if I want to jump into it right now. I'll probably jump in later, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, um, I'm just a hobby YouTuber. I'm a hobby YouTuber. That's pretty much it for me. Uh, and and, yeah, and your family know. was uh, were your family Mormons or is that yes, incorrect? They were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up Mormon. In the UK. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How does UK that work? Mormons, boy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. U- UK Mormons. Um, I- I've had a very, fu- a very strange life. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, very strange life, but. Um, it's not really about me. I want to talk about media, journalism, all that kind well, of stuff. Well, we are definitely going to get into all of that yeah. stuff. But first, Geo, we got to address oh. the elephant in the room, as yes. you said. So let's yeah. let's just get this out of the way. Okay, so, well, because people in the chat were uh, talking about it, and I have a lot of friends in this sphere. Uh, you were accused last year, uh, J. Arthur Bloom, of participating in the uh, spreading of information and doxing of Bronze Age pervert, your name came up along with uh, the Thinker of Ironies. If you know who I'm talking about, the who? The Thinker of Ironies. You know, Campbot. That... I'm talking about Campbot. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, to say, so your name came up, and it was alleged that you were spreading information or helped, or it was part of a network, and then. Uh, people were pointing out how your responses to it were less than total denunciation. I mean, give your perspective. It's just we're on a journalism stream, so it's our journalistic integrity to address these allegations and to give your side of the story. Because a lot of people, I, like just to be blunt about it, a lot of people um, don't like you after that happened. So I just wanted to clear the air more or less. Uh, respectfully. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, it's not true and I can't even really figure out where these guys are coming from. Um, the, so to, let me, I'll just lay out the whole story. I got accused of doxing the bronze age pervert. And, uh, I was accused of being part of this doxing ring here in DC that was responsible, not just for that, but for the Katie McHugh of- thing. Yeah, um, th- uh, for a number of other doxings that resulted from the emails of Katie McHugh. And uh, uh, my sense is BAP was just sort of playing telephone with some of those guys. And so he uh, got sort of bad information or something like that. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I, I was briefly involved in superintending a story that Katie McHugh was going to tell about her life uh, and her kind of journey in and out of these extremists, you know, well, I don't know, they're not jobs. And they're, uh, they really were trying to insinuate themselves in a rather dishonest way into conservative institutions. And I don't really necessarily care about that. The story, and I can prove this with drafts, uh, the story that she wrote that I was superintending for The Spectator, I helped bring it to The Spectator. That's the extent of my involvement. Uh, the story that she wrote, and I can prove this with the draft, only names a single person. Uh, and, and so everything that subsequently came from her materials got blamed on me. And so I uh, suddenly became sort of the evil Svengali that was hunting uh, neo-Nazis or like white nationalists in, in the DC conservative movement. And, you know, I, I uh, it just isn't true. Um, these guys kind of, I, I do think there's a little bit, look, the Katie McHugh situation is very sad. And uh, it's not really, uh, it's not really my story to tell, but I can talk about it to the extent that I was involved. Um, she, basically what happened is she left the Daily Caller because it wasn't racist enough for her. And uh, then oh. she got fired from Breitbart because she was too racist for Breitbart. So it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's quite a trajectory. And thereafter, she falls further down the crazy hole. And uh, my, my experience at least, so I, I've read a lot of narratives about informants in groups like this. Uh, I find them very interesting. And it, when you read about the ones for, from women, very often you see that their reasons for getting involved with these groups are basically personal rather than political. And then their reasons for leaving them are basically personal rather than political. Mm. And that was definitely the case for Katie. Her reason for you know, leaving all that stuff behind, she was, uh, let's just say very badly wronged by one of the buddies of, of this whole group. I've, I've heard it from other, yeah, that there was some kind of, well, but just to push mm. back, I mean, there's always exceptions to anything that ends up uh, happening with anybody. So I wouldn't necessarily right. generalize that. But, uh, but from I, the perspective, I, yeah. like I was just going to say quickly, Arthur, like just from the perspective of people on the right, they would say that these institutions are sort of holding a throat, a boot, a boot to the throat of genuinely right wing people, and that they need to be overcome or at least. Um, pushed in a certain directions in order to be efficacious towards true conservative or right-wing causes. So mm. I understand like the huge pushback at that, obviously, because traditionally we would associate the Daily Caller specifically as this sort of mainstream, like on the mm. level of like Fox News minus Tucker Carlson, if you know what I mean, like the mainstream, like normie conservative institution. And mm. so the the argument would be that perhaps these people were trying to nudge in a certain direction. Um, I don't know about the, the, the racism thing from my, like my personal stance is that I detest doxing. And I think what Katie did was terrible irregardless. Um, I understand like a lot of people would view that as, you know, hmm. but, but from your perspective, so then get into like the whole thing with BAP, I guess like mm -hmm. you were, but, but I also want to make sure we don't spend the whole stream on oh, this no, as of well. Course. But just... yeah, I want to move on just because sure, no, this is the first my own integrity for shows. All this stuff. So I'm glad yeah. to talk about it. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, w the question of whether conservative institutions are holding back genuine rightists, um, it, it's, it's a, a question I sort of take seriously. 
On the other hand, what are they right. keeping them from doing? Uh, uh, they're keeping you from shitposting under a pseudonym for Richard Spencer's blog. Um, I, I would say that's not really, uh, is that progress? Uh, uh, like, uh, no, I, I mean, in, in no universe is it. Um, on the other hand, it, it pisses me off that CPAC won't talk about immigration. You know, right. it, uh, th th this is a real thing. Um, no, but to get back to BAP, so I, I wrote while I was out in Kansas, I wrote for a, um, a gossip blog over at The Spectator, and uh, Contbot had been interviewed by the FBI. Yeah. And so, the, like, the feds were sniffing around a bunch. So I was sort of involved in the neo-reactionary blogging scene. I had a, a group blog where we published some of those guys. And, uh, you know, finding out that the FBI was interviewing some of them, uh, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a kind of wake-up call, shocking yeah. moment. What, what, what do they? What, what's the interest there? So the FBI had had questioned Contbot, and I wrote that story. And I had heard that BAP, like people were sniffing around BAP from the feds. And I asked him about that because I was doing stories that were exactly like this. And uh, at at one point, I, I suggested that he FOIA himself because if there that that would be a way for him uh, to find out what they had on him or what they were doing, what they were looking into. And I mean, that's how I would handle that situation. But he flipped out and, and said that this was an attempt to confirm a dox. I never put out any information about him. I never put out his name, I don't think. Um, the, and, and that stuff was anyway already out there on 4chan. I mean, he had already been doxed at that point. Um, I, I do find it rather interesting that he has all these neocon ties. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I, I wonder if there's a bit of a Pied Piper thing there going on. But, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't dox him. Well, that's, I, I, full disclosure, me and the thinker of ironies had a falling out last year. So my opinion is totally biased. But I would say that I've heard the whole, the, the BAP neocon thing. I'm not convinced of it but i i mean i i don't know truly i i just think that campbot himself was spinning a yarn put it that way well uh, he's I, become I pretty know. i agree with you that he's become rather infuriating recently oh um but i had to lock my account because of him recently because he uh <laughs> A joke to you. All right. Well, now I think I, now I think we should uh, move Let's on. Move, I would like yeah. yes, I would like to move yeah. on to I think the most important question here, which I think is on everybody's minds. Um, what do you see today as being the level of trust? between uh the public let's say for now let's just focus on the american public right. and the state of journalism one thing that i would uh get rid of from this conversation even though it does play i think a pretty big role is uh wokeness there's that word again but i think everybody here on the screen including kathy uh arthur everybody can agree that this is a big problem you know all of these crt classes and all of that and um this is something that, because we all agree on it, there's no reason to speak about it. Instead, I want to take that layer of the onion off, and instead, I want to focus on the other layer, which is trust in institutions. One of the things, mm. again, going back to Soviet Russia, that uh, we did not have going for us, as you know, Kathy, is that we had absolutely the worst of the worst institu institutions. Everybody stole whatever they could whenever it was possible. It was very corrupt. 
And, like, everybody's already, like, hey, uh, Kathy, you may not know this, but everybody's very tired of me saying on BTR that you should never compare America to Russia, that Russia's very corrupt, it's still corrupt, it was corrupt before, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, because I do that, I have to also give a lot of credence to the problems that I see, which may not necessarily come up in more mainstream circles when it comes to the idea of uh, expertise, when it comes to the idea of there being an expert class and there being a class within journalism that may... Yeah, professional managerial class that may take certain things, um, uh, you know, that may take certain things either the wrong way or skew things in a particular uh, perspective that may not uh, do justice or may not steel man the arguments of the opposing side. And I think maybe, Arthur, you would be a good person to start this conversation uh, from when it comes to the people who you have spoken with. What exactly are they seeing within the realm of journalism that, let's say, is much more establishment, much more uh, professional, for lack of a better word, uh, much more acceptable, for lack of a better word, that um, beyond any of the woke stuff is something that they see, um, you know, that they have a big problem with. So uh, go for it, Arthur. And then we're going to go to Kathy. Um, yeah, the, there's a lot in there. Um, I, I think there definitely is a trust problem with the media. Um, I, I think a big part of it is there's kind of other people have said this and it kind of feels like a cliche now. Um, but this kind of search for narratives rather than facts. Um, the, the thing that makes a good feature writer is uh, is the kind of narrative complexity and, and how uh, it fits in with sort of the pieties of uh, right thinking liberals. Um, you know, it, it, it's sort of this, it's the story of guys like Le Wesley Lowry. I mean, is, is there, um, I, I don't think he's added very much through his reporting, um, but it certainly, it, it scratches the itch of liberal readers in a, uh, in a big way. And um, I mean, I, I also think this kind of, the tight link between the intelligence services and certain journalistic outlets, including The Atlantic and Politico, um, I, that's the sort of thing that really gets my noggin joggin, and it makes me think that these, group, these institutions are not trustworthy. But on the other hand, it sort of makes me wonder if, um, if anybody really cares about that. Uh, th that. That's sort of the cynical side of me. Um, th th this one journalist drives me nuts, Natasha Bertrand, uh, and oh, she yeah, yeah. played a big role in, in a lot of the Russiagate reporting. She was at the Atlantic for a while. I believe she's at Politico now, but she's very obviously just a pass through for, uh, uh, I guess, John Brennan or, or uh, people like that. Uh, uh, it, I, just, just to be clear, Kathy, do you know uh, this uh, journalist, uh, journalist that Arthur's talking about? I've seen her on Twitter. I don't know her personally, no. Yeah, I mean, she, uh, I think look, I follow uh, her on Twitter, but yeah, I, I, I have no reason to think that, yeah. she's a. I have no reason to think she's a bad journalist or a bad person or anything like that. It's just that she's an obvious conduit for the left-wing part of the deep state. Um, and I, you know, that's certainly, we had, uh, I have to say this because I, I, I suspect Kathy isn't gonna wanna go here. And I, I'm gonna, I, I wanna hear you respond to this. I, I think there were so many stories of the Trump years that turned out to be just wholly fabricated. Oh God, uh, from, so many. From Trump trashing the troops. PK. Um, to the, the Russian bounties on Afghan troops. Uh, so many of these, to, to Russiagate really itself, um, these stories that turned out to be just wholly fabricated, 
Um, right. It, well, I mean, do you want to get into a debate about Russia Gate? Because we could debate Russia Gate, but wait, that wait, would Kathy, take you us believe really in far Russia off the, the uh, main. Yeah, I mean, oh, do, do you want to finish your point? Because I, you yeah, know, uh, I have my uh, own. Go ahead. Thoughts. Go ahead. Yeah. Good. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I think I agree that, you know, there were certain narratives about Trump where like everybody was willing to believe the worst. Uh, I mean, you know, I am someone who is extremely anti-Trump, but I mean, I defended him on like certain points, like, uh, like, for instance, when just to give you one example where uh, there was the story that went out that supposedly he was, a, you may remember this, he was in a meeting with sheriffs, I think, and the claim was that he had referred to migrants as animals, like he had said, you know, these people are just animals. There was this clip that quickly went viral. Um, and, you know, it turned out, and I wrote about this in my column in Newsday, that he was actually referring to, like, homicidal gang members who had committed like really horrendous murders uh so you know i mean so this was really taken out of context and if you look at the entire transcript again it's pretty clear that you know he was referring to gang members so yeah i mean there were stories that i think were incredibly blown out of proportion mm. um i think like in terms of russiagate i think that there are i mean there was certainly a narrow like there was a narrative of Trump basically being a Russian asset, which, you know, I, for the record, like I never bought, I, I always thought like the P tape story was extremely, extremely dubious. Like the Seth Abrams, uh, is Abramson, is that his name? The guy that made his career? Yeah, writer? Seth Abramson. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, yeah, but like I mean, that, that's, Seth Abramson is really not like, I mean, most people in the mainstream media were making fun of Seth. He's like a performance artist, almost. But he's a synecdoche for an entire style of resistance. Yeah, but I mean, Seth yeah. Abramson is not like, and this is see, this this is the point that I'm that I'm going to get to. I think that there is a kind of corresponding uh, like narrative on the right, which conflates a lot of like mainstream RussiaGate coverage with this really crazy stuff that was. Uh, being pushed by, you know, people like Seth Abramson, that was being pushed by people like, you know, Rachel Maddow or, you know, Louise Mensch. Uh, and Louise Mensch, is, uh, by the way, was a conservative at one point, but, uh, and she actually offered yeah. me a job once, which is a whole other story. But what a Mensch. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> no, it's really funny because Louise, when, remember when she had Heat Street? It was this outfit. Yeah, it was the. Like the rival to Breitbart at one point. If I yeah, remember. yeah, and yeah, and Louise actually offered me a job. Like she wanted me to be her like second in command at Heat Street. And I swear, you know, this is before like everyone realized that Louise Mensch was kind of nuts, you know? And I went in for a meeting with her and I remember saying to my friend, like, yeah, you know, she's offering me this really well-paying job, but I mean, there's this vibe about her that is just really like rubbing me the wrong way. So I didn't take the job. And I mean, partly it was also because like, basically the requirement was that I was going to have to stop writing for everybody else. Like Heat Street was going to have to be like my only mm. outlet. And I thought, you know, like, I'm basically going to like 
tank mm. my whole network that I've well, spent years building up. Anyway, yeah. so going back to, so yeah, so, uh, so you know, these were people who were saying things like, oh, you know, like any day now, you know, Trump is going to get arrested and, you know, and, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, like the marshal of the Supreme Court, I think that was. It, it mirrors that. like the any day now, two weeks, he's going to yeah. get back into office. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, there was that whole, like, really crazy narrative, like, you know, Trump is Putin's bitch, you know, like, he's literally like an agent reporting to, you know, which is, you know, ludicrous. Uh, And I always thought it was. Um, On the other hand, I think that, first of all, like, a lot of the... uh, it's really actually not true that the majority of the mainstream media were embracing that narrative. I think most of the claims, uh, the most of the Russiagate claims that you see in places like, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, etc., I think were really much more limited, which is that, you know, there were these very shady connections between the Trump campaign and, uh, you know, and uh, the Russians. And, you know, the Russians probably fed the Trump campaign some of this, you know, oppo stuff on, on Hillary Clinton that, you know, and I, mean, I think the whole question revolved around the fact, uh, you know, the question of did the Trump people know that this was like stuff coming from the Russians and, you know, okayed by Putin. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, and, and this is because th- this is, again, where I think there's a you know, bad uh, left-wing narrative, you know, that, you know, Trump is Putin's bitch. And there's a bad, like, right-wing narrative, which is that, oh, like, the Russia gate was a total hoax. I mean, it is actually not a hoax that, you know, there were Russians who were sort of helping the Trump well, campaign. I would, I would say that, I, I would say vaguely more to the center-right governments, mm. whether they're in the neo, they're neoliberal or not, like, Putin, like Bolsonaro, like Trump, that they would, you know, embrace each other. But J.R. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but aside from that, I mean, it is actually true that the Trump campaign was kind of, you know, crawling with people who had a lot of, like, really shady connections to the Russians. And it is true that, you know, the WikiLeaks, which is a Russian asset, I mean, I think that's just, you know, that's a fact. No, but no, no, seriously. They, I don't mm, think they, anyone seriously knows. Mm. Yeah, no, no, no. Wikileaks is a massive asset. I mean, you know, that's. I, I mean, the, I, the way, I think, uh, I think the way, Julius the way Assange that I. They didn't start out as a Russian well, asset, okay. but I think. Okay, the, but the way that I would look at it, Kathy, is that uh, regardless of where exactly it came from, if we can establish that certain things, unless they are absolute fabrications, are in fact legitimate uh, things that are already out there, then those are mm. things that uh, are worth uh, looking into, regardless of where they came from. Well, hang on, That's... though. I mean, if, okay. I mean, the, the thing, the, 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 first of all, the question If they're already is... out in the ether, I mean. Like, yeah, I mean, if, are they legitimate things or are they being spun as something that they're not? Because like yeah. a lot of the stuff that was in the Clinton emails, like the stuff that got spun as, you know, Hillary's people, you know, like deliberately tanking Bernie Sanders. A lot of that was very, uh, and you know, I, I, I'm really not a great fan of Hillary Clinton. I'm even less of a fan of Bernie Sanders. But I mean, a lot of that stuff actually was taken out of context because like a lot of the, like the, the, 
you know, the, the nasty stuff that various DNC people said about Bernie Sanders, that was actually after he had already lost the nominee, you know, so that was not like them trying to undermine him when he was still mm. in. Well, in, I, I agree. Well, with even, point. even, anyway, the, uh, I don't want to get into all those details. Yeah, but, I just want to say, know, even, even just... the Tony Soprano uses a payphone and tries speaking in the basement, you know, well, instead well, of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so real, just real quick point. I mean, mm -hmm. it is actually not true that, like, you know, Robert Mueller found that there was nothing whatsoever to Russiagate. I mean, he basically found that, you know, the Russians were feeding stolen, you know, data from the DNC to the Trump campaign. Uh, you know, Trump people tried to like get it from, like actively sought to get it from them. Like, you know, Roger Stone was, you know, in the middle of all this and he really yeah. wanted to get his hands on that stuff. What they didn't find, and this is where like the no collusion, like Trump, because Trump was really like, you know, hammering and they're like no collusion. So, you know, there was no pre planned like the Trump people didn't conspire ahead of time with the Russians to like steal that information. And because of that, you can't really say that like there was no conspiracy uh, like to hack the DNC, for instance. Uh, there was, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, like if you look at the, the, the Trump Tower meeting with Don Jr., there were people in the Trump campaign who definitely like knew that uh, Trump, uh, that Putin wanted to help elect Trump and, uh, you know, were really happy to get their hands on that information. So, mm. I mean, is that nothing? I mean, I wouldn't say that that's mm. nothing. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. I, well, different. let's go to Bloom. Let's get Arthur Bloom. Go for it. Very different from the way it was sold. Um, and I, the, the, the main thing I'd push back on, the, the, you're trying to make a distinction between the uh, Louise Menches of the world mm -hmm. and the sort of mainstream respectable reporters. Um, the trouble is, I'm not so sure that that distinction is really all that valid. Uh, you know, the, we've got on emails. Well, it is if you look at the coverage, though. I mean, well, but look, the, David Ignatius was used to take the kill shot. Uh, on the Russiagate story. David Ignatius is the probably the most famous national security reporter in the United States. The, the, this is not a Louis. Okay, what did he say specifically? Because I don't remember. Oh, oh, Kathy. Yeah, no, sorry, uh, sorry. It's uh, just... Arthur, but yeah, I mean, I do know, for instance, that like both the New, York, the, the New York Times and the Washington Post at various times actually like published front page stories shooting down like rumor, like claims of uh you know connections between the trump campaign and russia right. the, okay. and so, i mean it's really not true that they were like all in on this and like doing whatever. well i want to i want to let through make his point please okay yeah, sorry, sorry. Kathy, it's just yeah no, okay. I, I mean i i just think it, you we've got an email senior intelligence officials saying take the kill shot referring to the story that david ignatius did and uh they're talking about using the most prominent national security reporter in the country as the kill shot in the Russiagate story. That, that's collusion between the intelligence agencies and the very tip top, uh, most prestigious part of the mainstream media in the Russiagate story. And, and you also have some of the bad reporting that the Atlantic did. I mean, they were the ones who cooked up the, uh, the Russian bounties story. Uh, these, these stories are just, there are partisan people within, call it the deep state, call it the intelligence agencies, call it DOD, uh, whatever, that are colluding with the most powerful parts of the mainstream media to tell fake stories. Yeah, I think that's a serious problem. It, it, that's, it, to point that out, is that isn't a right-wing narrative. I mean, I just think these stories didn't hold up. 
it's right but you know can i just quickly respond to that because my my point about the right-wing narrative isn't that i mean i'm sure i certainly am not disputing that you know until people and you know people in various administrations have you know fed stories to the mainstream media i mean i think that was always true no i mean the the narrative that, that i'm referring to is this idea that like first of all that there was nothing whatsoever to russiagate and that uh you know the mainstream media as Mm. a whole were sort of strongly pushing the sort of you know uh, maximum, sort of maximum bad well, version of the. Well, Kathy, narrative. Kathy, I want to so, get a, I want to get yeah. more of a top-down view of this entire situation. Since yeah, one, of things, one of the things that uh, Arthur was talking about was uh, this connection that you also pointed out with uh, the uh, intelligence apparatus of the United States and journalism. We could say mm-hmm. that either oh there's going to always be this element i think the reason why a lot of americans today are getting very sick and tired of uh journalism in general at least mainstream journalism is their concern is that it's not just here and there their biggest concern is that what's been going on you know for god knows how long has well, been a much a much more yeah Robert Nozak getting fed stories about Howard A much more concentrated version of this, which they see as being very antithetical to the kind of government that we should have. So I'm curious, Kathy, like, uh, what is your perspective on how much of this type of collusion goes on between uh, various intelligence agencies, government officials, and the uh, corporate media today? And then I want to get to average centrist after and then Slav. All right. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I'm not, again, like, I'm not sure what collusion really means in this context, uh, because, you know, I, obviously, the media, like, the, the sort of established media get their news, a, a lot of their news from official sources. Do they often not sufficiently fact check those? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that we have, by the way, similar claims uh, on the left, the sort of the pro uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, contingent, for instance, saying that a lot of the time, like when it comes to coverage of crime, the sort of the establishment media take the police version of a story uh, to be sort of gospel. And that's uh, reported at like what really happened. Uh, and I think that's yeah. also true, probably. I and mean, and I mean, BLM takes the words of their activists as gospel oh, as course. well. Of course, so, but so, yeah, but this is my, my point. Like the critics have their own narrative where you yeah. know certain things are taken as gospel. Yeah, but but, th- but this but this is much more important, I think, since this concerns the well-being of our entire country. If we have a situation of who is watching the Watchmen, if we have a situation where we have people in power that uh, people are not necessarily trusting, and they're not trusting the media well, I either. Think that's what want. That's what average centrist you wanted to talk about. Yes, go um, for it. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. I guess I'm taking a bit more of an outsider perspective here because obviously I'm in the UK. It's a different, I mean, our media is a, is kind of similar, but not quite the same. But I have a, I'm pretty clued up on the American media. The thing that I noticed coming, I, I don't know the specifics of some of the stuff that you're talking about right now with some of these stories. So I can't speak to that. But when I would notice some of the stuff that was coming around with Trump in 2015, 2016, is that there was a massive uh, boy that cried wolf situation that was going on. And I think that when we're talking about mistrust with the public, I think that's like a massive problem. Like it's a huge, huge problem because like it, it means that basically there's no real standard of truth that goes out to the public. 
And when that happens, that means that everyone, everyone and their mum is becoming a conspiracy theorist. Like, honestly, like I know basic bitch mums that are literally coming out with like the craziest motherfucking shit you've never heard in your fucking life that I would never have heard of a year or two ago. But only because of like, because of like lockdowns and all kinds of like, I guess you could call it post-truth kind of stuff. Like the, the media have kind of warped reality. Uh, like, I don't know, I'm not saying this is all journalists or anything like that, but the, in the political sphere, they have manipulated people into really weird positions. And I just, uh, it's hard to put it into words, man. I just, I just think it's going in a really weird direction. And I think part of like what we're seeing today in terms of like anti-lockdown protests, all this kind of stuff, like I like the, the way the left wing is, the way the right wing is, the QAnon, like all this kind of stuff. All these people, I feel like the media is at the heart of it all. Like they, they generate a, um, how, do, how do you really put it into words? It's, they sorry, I didn't expect to be brought on so suddenly, but uh, <laughs> no, no problem at all. Apparatus of suspicion and uh, and sort yeah. of um, a, a worship of expertism, I think, is what people really yeah. But or in, in if, I could, if I could yeah. say a couple of yeah. words in praise yeah, yeah. of British journalism, the thing that I appreciate about British journalism is it does have a little bit more liveliness. The thing that drives <laughs> me nuts about American journalism is how. Uh, insanely professionalized it is. They, when when Politico was getting started, they 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 specifically made their pitch as a publication to want they, they wanted to be the ESPN of politics, and uh, oh yes, that's exactly what I can't stand. Uh, turning it into a matter of sort of facts and figures, and uh, you know, as if you're running a sports book or uh, like a, a, a I don't know stats matrix or something like that. Um, the, the, the thing that, that British journalism does, right. Is it's a little bit more gossipy and it just feels more human to me. Um, I, I, maybe that's <laughs> they're a, very savage. I'm not going to lie. Like they're fucking sure, yeah. savage. Mm. I'm not going to lie. But, uh, but I, I also want, yeah. but before I also want to make slob, sure, uh, though. oh, wait, wait, before we get to the top, I wanted to get a response from, uh, Kathy as well. Yeah, I just want yeah. to make sure Kathy, that you understand, uh, average centrist, uh, views here. Like, oh why yeah, yeah, it, no, I, I, I do. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, my, my my view is really sort of, in a way, kind of conflicted, <laughs> you might say, because in terms of the whole like establishment journalism versus, uh, you know, the kind of more freewheeling kind of citizen journalism stuff where, you know, it's not necessarily like expert, uh, expert opinion. Uh, I mean, I think both of those really have their pitfalls because the thing is, like, when I was beginning my career in journalism, uh, it was really like much more um, kind of dominated by the sort of mainstream opinions, and uh, uh, you know, and the, the, obviously there were other opinions that were kind of presented on the on the op-ed page often, but there was a much stronger kind of sense of well, this is the consensus, and this is what the sort of the experts say, and uh, you know, and uh, I think a lot of the time uh, this this consensus did sort of reflect 
basic facts. But on the other hand, I also know that there were things with sort of, you know, left of center narratives uh, that really did result in uh, completely inaccurate things being taken as reality. Like, because uh, I, I first came across this when uh, when I was uh, uh, doing a lot of research on uh, feminism and sort of how the media would uncritically channel certain like, activist feminist narratives. Uh, like th there were these completely bogus, you know, factoids about, for instance, how, uh, you know, battering is the battering by men is uh, the number one cause of injury to women seen in emergency rooms, which was like, which appeared, which basically came from press releases by these, you know, feminist groups and was just completely uncritically picked up by major newspapers. Uh, there was similar stuff where like at one point there was a figure of like supposedly 3 million homeless people. Uh, this was in the Reagan era. And this was, again, this was a figure that as it later turned out was apparently kind of made up on the spot by an activist who was testifying before Congress. And then just again, like got into all of the major media. So, I mean, I'm certainly aware of the fact that, you know, like professionalism uh, mm. does not uh, guarantee. Well, the, these are more, these are more examples that, but... that you bring up of uh, kind of like oopsies of screw ups where, oh, we just listened to the wrong person. They were full of crap. Uh, we're going to try better next time. What I'm curious about, Kathy, and then I want to get to trustworthy Slav as well. What I'm curious about is, do you see any examples, and uh, I would also love to hear from Arthur, uh, do you see any examples of there being more top-down things that, let's say, come from prestigious universities that are, let's say, in a certain way, and again, not the level of Russia, but I'm basically saying I don't want America to become Russia, which is why I'm talking about right. it, basically where uh, intelligence agencies, government officials would have certain narrative spun that they use the yeah, media well, see, as my, a uh, mouthpiece This is where I think my perspective differs, because I think a lot of the time... Uh, I mean, it's a much more complicated relationship than this, because like, for instance, if you take like the, 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 these bad stats on domestic violence that I just mentioned, like, there is a certain feedback, between, uh, kind of feedback loop between the activists and, and certain circles in government, you know, like, uh, especially, you, you know, more Democrats on some issues, more Republican on, you know, other issues where, you know, people in government uh, uncritically recycle, uh, you know, uh, advocacy-driven claims by activists, and then it all kind of filters down to the media. So, I mean, my, my concern isn't so much about, you know, top-down stuff necessarily as about the sort of vicious circle of mm. a feedback loop that just results in kind of bullshit. Well, just to be clear, well, when you're saying that, I agree. But when I say top-down, I don't even mean top-down in the Russian sense of there being a commissar that tells you what to do. I mean top-down, again, going back to this idea of how could the experts possibly be wrong, where we have these same resonances even happening right now, even happening 
with uh, what happened with Joe Rogan recently. I mean, still, Kathy, I was speaking to, and again, we're not going to use the words here because we don't want to get shut down by the YouTube police, but I was speaking to my doctor who is a highly accredited doctor, and he has a much more nuanced take on a lot of these different things if we're talking about that particular thing that Joe Rogan uh, took here. But I keep seeing story after story that keeps being regurgitated that never talks about anything other than the horse angle, which is completely oh, not true, that being the only it's part ridiculous. of it. Yeah, this yeah, is this is something... Mr. Hand's pace. Yes, yet this is something that keeps being regurgitated. So when I take a look at that, I go with the Adam Carolla saying of stupid or liar. So, Kathy, which one is it? Is it stupid or is it liar? Uh, well, I'm sorry, you're kind of lost to here, regurgitate but... To regurgitate the points about this particular product that Joe Rogan used only being used for horses. So oh, when... yeah, no, I think that's just, I don't know, I think people just think it's kind of a really good singer. So, you know, and I think a lot of people because of that probably do believe that. But, you know, I mean, I think that that's... You, really you don't bad. see there being any malfeasance from uh, far, the pharmaceutical industry, anything that would push certain <laughs> things into that direction. No, nope, sorry. Nah, I, I really don't buy that whole thing at all. Because, I mean, I, I have, you know... Well, I, I, I wanted well to no, ask... no. Well, he, here's well, one last thing, Gio. Here's how I could oh, possibly bridge that gap. Because I'm very... I'm. No, I'm on, Kathy, I'm on your side pretty much when it comes to also not believing that some pharma exec came into the office and started. Right. No, what I'm basically saying is going back to that same idea of there being this bubble, there being this consensus of only trusting oh, sure the experts. So as, so as a default, certain things that are propagated, you know, by uh, big pharma companies that also have relationships to universities. Yeah, relationships yeah let me just to... tell you real quick, you know, because my, uh, I mean, I, do, I, I did not have like a preset like opinion on this uh having read like i because i've followed some of that debate and i mean i'm really pretty convinced that like the the quote-unquote expert side on this is correct but you know let me uh can i just make a real quick point because i think w when we're talking about like the dangers of too much professionalism uh you know and too much like listening to the established experts which obviously you know has its you know, bad sides. On the other hand, you know, I think that when you uh, kind of like adopt too much of a sort of fuck the gatekeepers attitude, and you can have like basically anyone come in saying anything and claiming equal credibility, I mean, that has a lot of dangers. I'll, let me just give you a real quick example of something that happened um, uh, in 2005, when I was blogging and also writing for the um, uh, for the Boston Globe, uh, so there was in uh, at Oklahoma University, a guy, uh, a student, uh, committed suicide by the rather unusual means of like basically blowing himself up with a bomb. Like he actually bought explosives, like put on a backpack sat down on a bench outside a football stadium and like blew himself up. And then some people started spreading the rumor. This was remember we're like four years after 9-11. So people are still really jittery about, you know, like radical Islamist activism. And some people, some bloggers, you know, including for instance, Michelle Malkin, 
start spreading this rumor that uh, I don't know where it originated, but like basically the idea was that this guy was actually a would-be suicide terrorist who supposedly had tried to gain like entrance to the football stadium because there was a game going on at the time. And supposedly like what he had actually wanted was to blow himself up in the football stadium, you know, taking out God knows how many people. And there were these stories about how he was supposedly like a secret convert to Islam. And the, 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 the evidence for this was completely ridiculous was like, oh, well, at one point he had a Muslim roommate. Okay, well, I mean, that's obviously like highly incriminating. Oh, he lived like three blocks away from a mosque. Well, all right. So yeah, so there were these people. And I mean, this was really not like funny because here was this guy who had committed suicide in a really horrible way. And, you know, apparently had left a note explaining his reasons. And his family was obviously devastated. And then there were these people like circulating these rumors all over the place about how he was actually a would-be terrorist. And, you know, the FBI said pretty early on that, you know, there's absolutely no reason, like the, the, the claims that there was footage of him trying to get into the stadium didn't pan out, like the, the, the claims that he had, like supposedly like a stash of terrorist literature in his apartment didn't pan out. And, you know, the FBI was basically saying, you know, right away, like there's absolutely no reason to believe that, you know, he, he was a terrorist. And there was, at the time, there were also a lot of people on the uh, on the right, like, you know, Michelle Malkin being one of them, who believed that, you know, there was a deliberate effort to downplay Islamic terrorism, uh, so as, you know, not to project the idea that, like, we're, we're waging a war on Muslims. So there was a lot of, like, real kind of paranoia about this. This and, was actually a plot in an episode of, I think it was an Australian show, uh, lawyer show. I think it was called Rake, where it was like oh, that really? exact thing. Yeah. yeah. So let that me just have been finish a like show. a real quick point because I'm about to wrap up what I'm saying. And right. so and eventually, like, like all of this got completely shoved down. And uh, you know, I wrote a piece basically saying, look, you know, this is where you really need to be careful and responsible because you know we have these people with blogs who are just you know blowing this stuff you know, no pun intended, blowing this stuff completely out of proportion. And, you know, causing, and not only causing tremendous paranoia on the campus where people think, oh my God, you know, this guy was about to blow us all up, but also causing like, really uh, severe anguish to a family that had already lost its son, brother, etc. And there were people basically coming out and saying, well, you know, we're not like professional journalists. We can't really be expected to fact check everything. We're just, you know, we hear something and we put it on a blog, you know, and then and then you investigate it. Yeah, well, you know, that's kind of yeah. like, our, I mean, well, that's what well, that's why we, we have, have to get like to Slav uh, and then yeah, I want to ask. We're, 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 we're going to get the Slav, yeah. but real quick, I want to say that's why we have people like Sticks, Hex and Hammer 666, who's going to be debating Joel Davis soon. But uh, what Sticks oh, does, Kathy, oh. is he loves archiving all the news stories that come up, number one, so okay. that the uh, press journal, uh, the press um, uh, magazine uh, organizations don't get any money. But number two, so that people can go 
and let's say edit a certain article where at first there is a much spicier headline which is wrong but then you edit it so that after the fact it's actually different you know in case yeah. uh, you know you you intentionally right. misled or unintentionally misled someone so when people see things like that they're going to gravitate towards people like sticks who even though he didn't have a journalism uh, license he studied botany or something i think in vermont he is somebody that people end up naturally trusting just from the process of uh, him doing as as much due diligence as possible in order to get to the facts. There's going to be people who are going to go to Yahoo's. There's going to be people who are going to go to all sorts of people that are going to have uh, you know uh, bad takes or wrong takes. But I still think number one, the cream should rise to the top, and number two, we're seeing a hell of a lot of censorship from big tech when it comes to not censoring outright, but basically demoting all the non-professionals and promoting all the professionals in terms of like Fox News, CNN. And MSNBC in the front page of people's feeds. So that's something that I have a problem with. I think that a free market that you are also in favor of, Kathy, would be able to raise all ships without this manipulation. But let's get to Slav. Slav, yeah, you were then I want to get JR yes. into the expertise, and I want to ask the panel question on journalism. Yes. So, so Slav, go away. I know you're gonna absolutely shred the whole chat. So. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. How's it going, guys? I don't. I don't. I don't even know where to start. Give me something. <laughs> well, give me something to go on good. here. Well, just the uh, thing we were talking about host earlier of the regarding Fed the expert, post, trustworthy uh, Slav. Well, co-host. Yes. Oh Fed yeah. Post. Okay. Well, okay. I'll introduce. I'll do the narcissism thing yes. first. Yeah. I am. I am trustworthy Slav. I uh, record a podcast with my my friends. I'm going to call them friends at this point. Uh, For it's, now. Uh, it's the it's the Fed post. Um, Friends with benefits, yes. Friends with benefits. Uh, I I don't know. People call us post left. I just in in post left fashion. I don't really subscribe to this uh, to this label. But uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting discussion going on. I got. I literally actually already have like a page worth of notes of what I was just listening Ooh. to. Already happy to be here. Sorry for being late, though. I am happy to be fashionably late. Um, I'm hoping that my display picture is coming up for somebody. I no, it's just... not. No, it's okay. not. Okay. Well, it's no, no, no shortage of effort on my part going into. I. That's I okay. Anyways, I got the at there. I appreciate you adjusting it. But yeah, yeah, happy to be here. And uh, just really, um, what is your thoughts thus far on uh, the state of journalism and, and some of the things yeah. you want to discuss? Yeah, I mean, okay, so like centrists. I, you know, I didn't want to, uh, this is like the one place where I don't cut in and interrupt people. Uh, um, but you know, average centrist, you were, you were kind of, um, you were touching on something that I, that I did want to jump in on because it felt like you just didn't get it quite over the finish line, which, you know, which is, um, I mean, you know, no offense or anything, but, uh, which is really, um, I mean, the, you know, the corporate media is lying in the bed that they fucking made. And mm. like when we're talking about like normie soccer moms going full on QAnon or whatever, which like for the record is completely like a fed honeypot. Like it's or blue like, anon, depending on the, the district. Right. Well, I mean, it, I mean, we were already talking about Russia, right? right. Um, like trusting Yahoo's in itself, the average people doing that is an indictment of the the media establishments mm -hmm. and like I don't really I mean honestly it seems like I'm wasting time 
talking on this because it's just such a fucking obvious thing. Now, yeah. if we're talking about, if we're talking about, like, I definitely appreciate how dubious it is to always side with the under uh, the underdog. It's the little guy can do no wrong, you know, must slave morality, right? It, mm. I understand that that, you know, especially, you know, I'm, I'm really still technically of the left. Um, I understand that that's really a popular thing that you run into there, right? Um, but when it, when it comes to, to, to media and everything like that, yeah, I mean, uh, this more than anything, of course, there's fault to go around, but more than anything, it's, it's the corporate media's bed that they've made to lie in. And if we're talking about serious differences between these two lanes of like alternative media done by the little guy or whatever, like I feel fucking cringed saying the little guy all the time, but establishment versus independent. I mean, it really is at the end of the day, just the, the primary difference in my mind is just who has resources to actually be doing investigation, right? And that really is kind of what, what really sorts people in journalism generally. Um, also, just as a side thing, uh, Kathy was it seemed like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, again, I'm coming in a little bit late, but it seemed like, you know, we're talking about the security state with, with Russiagate, which like in my mind is just a, it's just, it's just like the stupid, boring sequel to like WMD's narrative. Mm. Um, we're talking about the security state. And then it seemed like Kathy kind of used um, um, like, uh, sorry, uh, activists as kind of like a counterexample to the security state. And I think that that's kind of a, a false, <laughs> I think that that's kind of a false uh, arrangement there because I think that the the activist class, which is what it is, and maybe that wasn't the case when we're talking about wife beating in the Reagan era or something like that, but like the activist class is just as much a part of the consent making apparatus as the security state is. And so like, yeah, I don't, I don't really see mm. any issue there in pointing out a double standard with listening to BLM activists or listening to some fucking military industrial complex ghoul. I'm sorry, I don't know if we're being irreverent or not. I'll be well, the well, irreverent. No, I, 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 I want to make get, sure Kathy gets a chance to respond to that. So uh, Kathy. Uh, yeah, yes. but, but I think, I mean, I'm not sure what the criticism is because I think this is kind of what I was saying that there's a feedback loop between the activist class and the mm. and the government in many cases. So I'm not sure there's yeah. a disagreement. I don't so, see would, a distinction. Would you say that I wait, think there's wait, a cell, there's a class hmm. of like advocacy yes. groups that, you know, often, by the way, including people in the in academia who are regarded as like the professionals and who often do have, uh, you know, do, do have the sort of symbiosis hmm. or symbiotic yeah. relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, just like in the security state, so which, really which we sure would call collusion. Well, Slav, can you then expand a little bit about what you see as the big disagreement between you and Kathy when it comes to how she sees uh, these two uh, these two groups? Uh, well, like I said, I was coming in a little bit late there, so I might have been. I just, as I was saying, it seemed like your framing was to basically say like, well, something gets said about this, but nothing gets said about the other. From where I'm sitting, I don't really see that being the case at all. Perhaps your framing wasn't exactly that. Um, no, but I think I was responding to Love basically saying that he's interested in 
uh, like bad narratives promoted by government rather than you know activists and i was and my point was that often there's like not a whole lot yeah. of daylight between the two so i think oh one, okay if that's your case then yeah we're in yeah i think yeah, we're, there we're, we're there we go. someone said in the chat um who, who was it uh vg said zero discussion of the effectiveness of corporatism and international liberalism on the field of journalism. So I wanted to get J. Arthur Bloom's take, and then I wanted to ask a more um, broader question about journalism itself. But what, what what is your getting the discussion, J. Arthur? What what has been your uh, sure? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the way I think about this problem is um, the the big power that journalism has that nobody else has is the power to privilege the question. Uh, mm -hmm. What uh, what is allowed to be talked about and what isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not so much a matter like there, there's a pretty wide range of opinions that are allowed on any given question, not on everything, but, you know, you're allowed to disagree. But what you're but the way uh, it's possible to control what things can be talked about, the, like what subjects I think is very important. And I, I think the, the biggest revelation for me there was COVID, because uh, we, we were just we just started to find out there was a big story in The Intercept. It was promoted as, as a huge scoop that they had just gotten all these files showing that the Wuhan lab had, been, had received U.S. government oh, funding. By the way, we got, yeah, all right, YouTube, that, that's YouTube, fine, that's YouTube. fine. Let's, always, say, let's yeah. say the uh, the the lab in that certain place. Yes. Yeah, just OPSEC, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, is that a YouTube thing? Yes. Yeah, it's a YouTube. Oh, the, the lab, I'm fuck sorry. Fuck YouTube, man, they're fucking uh, cunts, aren't they? The lab in China. <laughs> oh, watch your language there. Sorry. Oh, it's our thing. He's British. Right, they let it, they give him a pass. All right. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> Kathy, it's, Kathy, it's a British thing. <laughs> but this is partly what I, I mean, I'm right? I'm not offended. <laughs> I, think we can, I think we can talk sorry, about it. Sorry, I thought we were all adults here. I think sorry. nowadays <laughs> you can talk about it. Yeah, you're, you, you can talk, talk about it now because we've gotten permission to. And we, we <laughs> That's right. John Stewart screamed about it. Yeah, we uh, we got permission after some of these stories, especially the Intercept one. Now we're allowed to talk about how this lab probably received U.S. government funding. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, the, before that, there was the big New York Post story. The, the New York Post ran this very lengthy, very well done story about how the lab leak theory isn't crazy. Uh, and, and that was months after conservatives were talking about this. Mm -hmm. They basically had this story almost entirely uh, back in like April of 2020, like right when the pandemic obvious, started. It? Just... In, uh, well, in retrospect, yeah. And uh, but but it's it's what questions you're allowed to consider at any given time. You're a crank if you were talking about the things uh, uh, almost two years ago now uh, that that are now allowed to be discussed by normal people. It's about when you talk about it. Uh, yeah. I was I've got a couple of normie liberal friends, and uh, I, I uh, texted them. We were talking about just some random things. Uh, and COVID came up and I texted them, wait until you find out that this was th that this was a uh, came out of a Chinese lab that received U.S. government funds. A and they all came back to me and they said, you don't really believe that, do you? <laughs> and uh, and now nowadays it's kind of it it's sort of the prevailing theory. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think the superpower that journalists have is the ability to privilege the question. And, and that has impl implications for for a lot of different things, including politics. Uh, you know, th this sort of. Uh, even the sort of portrait that you have in your mind of Trump, of him, he's like this authoritarian uh, who is throwing the Constitution out the window. Um, 
that, and that, they that, had that to whole... just get they just had to the general milley had to do what he had to do to exactly. protect the republic you know? they're, they're able to put that caricature in your head and that becomes the terms of the debate like I, either you're a loyalist that was the term that you saw a lot around january 6th the the people that that liked trump were loyalists a little bit like you know the 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 um, diehard followers of some tin pot dictator mm-hmm. um the, the, that was the language that they use. So it, it's how they talk about things and when you're allowed to talk about them mm. that are super important. Well, I wanted to get a Kathy's response to that as yeah. well, because like like I always say, Kathy, I really value being an American. I love this country and I don't want this country to turn into a totalitarian dictatorship well, like just... Russia, which is exactly why I think the things that Al, uh, that uh, Arthur is bringing up right now are a very uh, are very important. And I'm well, just curious, to give uh, context, Lev, yeah. like just really quickly without getting us banned uh let's say um uh let's say zio anthony that means uncle in italian um you know who i'm talking about if you remember the 19 i want to say it was it was 10 years later it was 1999 the story that came out in spin magazine and i know the journalist in question was kind of a nut bar later on but it was more or less true about what was happening during that other health crisis in the eighties that involved him, uh, not to get into it too, <laughs> too much. Um, but, but yeah, Kathy, go ahead. Then I wanted to ask a, a broader mm. question. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, well, you know, I just want to say, uh, again, I, as I said at the beginning, you know, I do agree that there was a tendency to, uh, you know, like, uh, blow up some of these stories about Trump, you know, like the, the, the example that I gave was where supposedly, you know, he referred to migrants as animals and it turned out that, you know, it, it was actually, he was talking about gang members who mm-hmm. were, you know, who would repeat, you know, killed a lot of people and so on. So, you know, I'm certainly not going to deny that, you know, there were stories about the Trump administration that, you know, where the Trump administration got a bum rap. I mean, you know, I covered, for instance, the uh, Betsy DeVos, uh, you know, rules on um, uh, sexual assault on campus, where it was like, oh my God, you know, Betsy DeVos, you know, wants all the rapists to, you know, go free and so on. And in fact, you know, if you, the, the, there was even like, there was a feminist law professor at Harvard who basically said, you know, like these rules, if they weren't coming out of the Trump administration, you know, most people wouldn't really see a problem with them because they're basically about, you know, restoring some of the balance and, you know, giving some priority to the rights of the accused and so on. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think definitely there were like this narrative that, oh my God, like under Trump, we're all five minutes away from fascism. Yeah, like that's, you know, there was a lot of really kind of ridiculous stuff like that. Um, You know, at the same time, again, like I think uh, the, the narrative that I see from a lot of people, not only on the right, but even among people, some people on the left who question, you know, who are sort of in a position of dissent from the mainstream media, like Glenn Greenwald. I mean, there is this uh, really, um, uh, you know, equally uh, false, I think, narrative of January 6th as, oh, it was really just a few retired people who, you know, walked past the velvet ropes, uh, you know, in the in the Capitol building. And, what was it? Know. Well, we got video evidence. Against wait, 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 hold on. Arthur? You, what was you, it then? What was January 6th? 
So you don't think that there were actually like really violent people who were injured? No. Like, also was. I mean, there was probably glow in the darks. Like there was probably people who mm. I would say were. No, no, I, no, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't say on. just. I no. mean, there's like video evidence of people. Uh, like, uh, I mean, I mm. know that it turned out that Brian Sicknick, you know, the cop who died, mm. actually died of a. Stroke. No, but there was there was an FBI but, report I mean, that was done like... after the fact. Well, Kathy, there what? was an FBI report that was done after the fact that talked about what exactly went on and who the. Perpetrators were that well, were doing. Like I'll the give you an example. They lied about the guy with the 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 handcuff zip ties. He just found it on the ground. He didn't. Well, first of all, you don't necessarily know. know that they lied. I mean, it may very well be that they. Well, they well, 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 we're saying, we're saying like, guys, 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 I think we interrupted all, Jerry saying, and then I Yeah, to there were. I mean, there were like there were like what I think something like mm. three hundred you know cops who were injured. Well, we're going into uh very. We're going into various thoughts right now. Them sure. bump their head on the way yeah. out of the building. I mean, they, oh they, come they... on, dude, stop! You know, I mean, they, wait, they're, wait, hold on. They're, they're, there's there's literally, there's like, literally some kind of Did anybody read the FBI report that came out after this that actually said who exactly were the people that were responsible for knocking in the door, going in there, and then who were the people who, let's say, officers were not really giving any budge towards who thought, oh, the door's open, I might as well go in, because those are separate groups of people right Kathy so who were those people that the FBI report was talking about being the ones who actually rammed in went in and were actually not just like Joe average so who exactly were they uh are, well are, are, in the I FBI report <laughs> well in the FBI did you read the FBI report no, actually uh, Arthur did you read the FBI report no okay see this is what I'm talking about guys like we're we're all supposed to be on the same page with these things. I should have read the FBI report myself, oh. but my point is, is that we talk about this stuff and okay. we do okay, have a so certain did you read the FBI report? I kind no, of I did the premise that the FBI report is the be all end all. Yeah, at least it's something. <laughs> at least it's this something. Warren commissions. Okay, no, but I mean, so I'm not so aware. I'm not like, aware no, of a big no, FBI see, report. The thing is, like the way that you said, have you read the FBI report? Like you sounded like you were gonna, you know. I heard about it. Based on the FBI report. I heard about it, and one of the big takeaways was basically that there was no real founding of any kind of organized thing going on. Right, no, it. that but I know. I mean, I've read It's not really an insurrection. It's not. There were some suspicious people, though, I would say, yeah. just to be fair. Uh, one of them is like a. Never mind. I'm just gonna bash an East I mean, but... I'll just say, I'll just well, say now, like, I could get very conspiratorial with this bit. Go on, fucking go I, for it, lad. Let's fucking have it. it. Then we'll get to slab. Then we'll get to. So the the thing that I get conspiratorial about on January sixth is what happened to Ashley Babbitt's body from the time she leaves the the uh, speaker's lobby or the the antechamber to the speaker's lobby because. We don't know anything about her whereabouts from the moment she leaves the antechamber to the speaker's lobby until uh, her ashes appear in a Gateway Pundit video. Gateway Pundit, excuse me, Gateway Pundit got the exclusive uh, to, for her ashes scattering. And uh, nobody can account for where and who gave permission for her being cremated. Uh, you, th these cremations, I, I, as, a, as a trad sympathetic person, I'm very against cremation. Yes, uh, me too. Uh, devout Christians, Jews, and Muslims should all be against cremation. So I think like as a society, we should all just be against it. But, you know, Brian Sicknick was the first time ashes have ever lain in state in the Capitol. 
We've never done that before. And I, I'm not conspiratorial about Sicknick. I think that one's pretty clear that he wasn't beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. But Ashley Babbitt, what happened to the body? The, the family has not told anything about, you know, their interactions with officials. They're suing over it, but they, they've been very tight-lipped. I think it's very strange. I, this is, you know, we, I think it's strange that we know so little about a violent death in the seat of government. Uh, yeah. It, mm. There's, we should know a lot about that. And we don't, we hardly know anything. Mm. And, you know, you can look at the big piece of footage that's relevant here is the Jaden X footage. I, what strikes me about that whole video, Jaden X, he was later arrested. He's actually like an Antifa kind of guy or like a BLM activist. Uh, but if you watch his footage, what stands out to me is how peaceful everybody is. Uh, it, it's especially the ones inside the building. I mean, they're they're literally reasoning with the cops. Like, I mean, are those the same guys who were seen like chasing one of the cops up the stairs? I mean, come on. Dude. That must have been in a different place. But I mean, you don't you don't see any of that there. It, it, they're they're yeah. But I mean, I'm sure you can find like any 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 video of a you know generally violent event. You know, you can find some you know pockets well, of it. It's, that it's, it's, it's about mostly disagreement. peaceful protest, Kathy. I mean, I think make, it is a mostly peaceful protest. Fiery but mostly peaceful. To make I mean, I certainly agree that you know the 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 mainstream media, and I think this is this is. Like, this is one of the issues where I think the credibility of the media, because, uh, see, I think we're in, on a slightly different wavelength here, you know, you, you probably me and several of you or all of you, because, I mean, I'm really not so concerned about, you know, the sort of top down, you know, deep state, you know, stuff. I'm more concerned about the media, uh, you know, just out of ideological prejudice, you know, embracing right. uh, certain narratives where, you know, certain inconvenient facts are left out, like, you know, isn't that the top down thing that we're talking about, though, is them completely manipulating that mm. situation using but I don't know that using half truths and not, I mean, not, I think not it's actually more saying like, things. Uh, I, no, I mean, it is, that is what it is. It's a manipulation. Point. They're literally manipulating the minds yeah, of people I mean, by leaving out key facts on purpose. Or is it just sort of, you know, a uh, uh, no, they do it on purpose. Come on, they're not that thick. No, no, they're but that's that a good shit. question. They do it hold on, on hold on, hold on. That's I a, wanted that's to get a good slab question. and then wait, 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 hold on. Oh, to you. I mean, hold I on. think that there's a very good question about, you know, are they yeah. doing it on purpose yeah. or yeah. is yeah. Uh, you know, this more lively than So, Kathy, no, this is great. This is great. I think that there's no question at all. Yeah. I don't think that it's rocket science figuring out like whether or not it's like on purpose or whatever. Like, I think it's, I think that I can confidently say, that this is whether whether uh, there is an awareness on uh, on the part of the press or not. This is people acting intuitively on their class interests. That's what it is. It's class mm. politics, and, well, and that's well, what it is. I mean, I'm not well, a well, Marxist. Here's, so a, here's I don't, an example. I don't really no, like class. Well, and I could have guessed that. That's fine. It, it's just that seems like you know your 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 citizen they're, they're journalist. They're provincial, like flyover state people mm. that are icky and racist. And well, here, here's an like example. You have Kathy, journalists, for example, you, wait, that wait, were G calling Gio, for like, like even Dan Rather calling like we should erect a gallows in Washington and hang all of the people that went into the Capitol. Like, there are journalists that like say these things. No, and, but again, without going, without those extremes, 
turned out to be and i don't i think it's a little bit i think it's a little bit hyperbolic to to say that this has to be a purely marxist insight to say that like 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 this 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 like journalist class that basically wants to reform the disgusting proles in our in our nation to to act like to point out that there's a class element in there i don't really think no here's how i can balance things out do you think that they want to reform the proles any more than they want to reform you know the rich or whatever i mean you know i i think no i think i think they want to rotate the the rich nowadays i think anyway you know so my point is that you know i'm i'm really more concerned i'm less concerned with you know the whatever you know whatever narrative the government hands down or you know the deep state blow or whatever than i am with journalists whether they do it consciously and deliberately or just out of unconscious bias which i think is you know, is probably a much, you know, bigger problem where they genuinely believe that they're doing the right thing mm. and, you know, and doing things like downplaying the violence and the, mm. you know, in, in but, the uh, uh, so, so Kathy, summer of 2020, would... which I think was a big issue. Like the whole, mm. I mean, I totally agree that things like that whole, like the peaceful protest, the mostly peaceful protest thing, I mean, that does a great deal to, you know, mm. discredit the, um the uh, and you don't think that was purposeful when they said that that's a real that's a real thing you don't Uh, think it's purposeful yeah, on this note, I and I did tell Love about this before. Yes, uh, I, I, I know you have to go. Real quick, Kathy. Kathy, oh, hold sorry, on. One, Kathy. one final one final question I have. But you're a good I, sport, I though, I, I got to say. How, mm-hmm. You are amazing. And I just want to say, how do we go about finding out if it is one or the other? How do we go about finding out whether this is just people being in some headspace where they believe it to be the case versus there being certain top-down things? Like, surely there should be some documents we can all take a look at, various reports that are out there where we would be able to gain some kind of truth my concern kathy and the same mm-hmm. same for arthur bloom i wish arthur bloom had somebody like you on his staff same i wish that you All had right. somebody mm-hmm. like arthur on his staff because i'll be honest i don't think that happens and that's one of uh, i think the biggest problems because i think if that did happen then i think we'd be able to have a much clearer picture it's not like somebody's yeah. suppressing it it's just no i don't think you get a chance to think about it even nor would arthur get a chance to think about what Whatever, uh, oh, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I do think, by the way, that in in the last like couple of years, I think there has been a more kind of organized effort in the mainstream media to uh, push a certain narrative. And that's, you know, that's probably because of the rise of the sort of, you know, social justice activist class, which comes out of colleges and, you know, which now holds a lot of, you know, jobs in the media. Mm. And I think these are people who, you know, as opposed to merely just having sort of unconscious bias and skewing a certain way to certain stories, I think they really are you know a lot of them really do believe that they need to uh, like they see themselves as like foot soldiers in a in a uh, social justice do you, ma- do you mind if i make a, make that's a point a really here. Dangerous sorry to cut you off do you mind if i make a point here because what you're talking about like with this unconscious bias type thing i just don't really buy that because when you look through american history right right back towards like uh Alexander i guess i can Hamilton. hang around a couple of more minutes oh, sorry, sorry 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 to, i don't mean no, to it's all right too long, uh, but, uh, i can hang around a couple of I just want to make a quick point. Like when you go back to Alexander Hamilton and Aaron, uh, is it Burr? Aaron Burr? They used to have a feud. And that was like one of the first times in American history there was like a media mudslinging going on. And that set the tone for the media in America for literally hundreds of years after that. 
and like the that that was fully orchestrated that was like fully orchestrated with political people involved with media people creating actual agendas to mudsling and slander the other person and I, to me it's just it just seems a bit like wishful thinking to just say oh maybe they're just doing this doing that i think well, i think on. i don't think they're that stupid i don't think they're Hang that on stupid though. i Hang think because I, I think we're I, I think this is where it's uh it's really kind of um important to understand sort of the history of the media because basically from most of american history you're, you're quite right like the media yeah, were very consciously partisan there was a certain moment uh like after the end of World War II, where there really was, I think, this belief that the media should be objective and that, you know, and this is the what I'm referring to as a sort of consensus that ended up forming. And yeah, this sort of, this objectivity very often, you know, ended up being a kind of faux objectivity where there really was like the consensus reflected certain opinions that were really not as, you know, reality based as people thought. But, you know, I do think, and I, I, I say this from interacting with a lot of people in the media, that there really was a belief that, you know, we are trying to be nonpartisan and, you know, and uh, uh, sort of capture objective reality. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that you can try be nonpartisan, but if you don't recognize that you have certain biases, you know, what you think is nonpartisanship is actually your own opinion. I'll give you an example, and, and then I'm really going to have to go, but I mean, this is, this is like one uh, conversation that I had personally. Uh, like, I was um, having lunch, uh, this was around um, probably like 2005, six. I'm having lunch with one of my editors from the Boston Globe, where I wrote until 2007. And um, we're talking about, like, you know, nastiness in the media and, you know, polarization and, you know, and, uh, um, and she says something about, like, oh, my God, you know, isn't it horrible, you know, how, you know, mean-spirited and, you know, rude and, you know, and so on, uh, you know, Ann Coulter is. And, you know, she, yeah, I mean, I agree, by the way, I think Ann Coulter is, is really awful. And I mean, she says, you know, really, really horrible things about people in a way that I think is completely unjustified. Anyway, so, you know, we're talking about that. And then I said, well, you know, there's also a lot of really, like, uh, really unwarrantedly, you know, personal and mean-spirited stuff in, like, in in the in mainstream liberal media. And she's like, what, really? Like, where? And I said, well, like, for instance, uh, here's this column by Maureen Dowd uh, of oh, the New York Times about an affirmative action case at the, you know, that had just been ruled by, decided by the Supreme Court, in which Clarence Thomas uh, basically said that, you know, wrote in his, uh, I think it was a dissent, or maybe it was a concurring opinion, I can't remember. But basically, he wrote that, uh, you know, affirmative action stigma makes a lot of Black people feel stigmatized by, you know, feeling that their success is owed to sort of like special favors. And Maureen Dowd wrote a column saying, well, you know, obviously you look at Clarence Thomas and here's a man who has been driven barking mad, like these were her actual words, driven barking mad by the knowledge that, you know, he only got a seat on the Supreme Court because of racial favoritism. Oh, God. Yeah, seriously. Oh, and I said, 
<laughs> and I said, well, you know, isn't that like as bad as anything that Ann Coulter has written? And my editor like literally looked at me and said, yeah, but that's true. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm serious. I mean, I think she really like like to her, that was just sort of objective fact. And and I thought, well, like, OK, all right. Uh, you know, obviously we have a sort of discrepancy. And she was like, yeah, and it's also funny, you know, and like it's it's funny and it's true. So, mm. you know, so I mean, I think that there really is. I mean, you know, people do see things, um, you know, and I'm not, by the way, going to say that, you know, oh, like everyone else has partisan blinders and I'm the only person in the world who is, you know, sitting here, you know, giving you the point of view from Mount Olympus. I mean, I'm sure I have my own biases. I just gotta, I just gotta send you the great reset documents. Then right, everything right, will right. be uh, But anyway, right. so now I'm gonna have to go and, you know, like find my way back to Mount Olympus. <laughs> All right, Kathy. Thank you so thank much you, for being right. here. Well, I really appreciate much. it. Thank you. You've been a good care. sport. See you. Okay. Been a good sport. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So and everybody, we'll don't forget to subscribe, subscribe. patreon.com slash break the rules. We've got a lot I, of goodies for you. Look at this moth. To... Look at this beautiful, look oh, at this the beautiful Venti moth. moth. Yeah, this is the yeah. Brittany Venti moth right here. Look at this beautiful piece of wood. So Oof. my father created this, and my father is a great artist, and this could be yours when you become a $20 patron, the patreon.com slash break the rules. Hey, we're going to be doing a reunion stream, I believe, either um, next week or the week after. We're going to get all the regulars together, and then should be a fun uh average centrist i would love i would love for you to come in also i found out average centrist you are a big fan of wrestling just like geo is that right i am i'm a huge fan of wrestling yeah we're yeah we gotta put together a wrestling yes we oh do. we've got to do it Ar arthur are you a fan of wrestling yeah. no but i used to edit kane oh uh, wow yeah glenn he jacobs some, yeah glenn jacobs he's a libertarian mayor in uh knox county now i used to edit his columns occasionally so nice. no, I I don't I don't know anything about wrestling. Well, well I mean it's pretty yeah. similar to politics, so you know, well, it's the real <laughs> politics. I wanted to ask um, the panel because my my good friend Godward Podcast brought up an excellent point in the chat. He said a lot of journalists nowadays view themselves as the arbiters of the noble lie. I wanted to ask about the history and uh, average centuries. You brought up the history of American journalism. I would say I wanted because Arthur, you're familiar a bit with the history of journalism in America, at least in the 20th century. Let's say, uh, what's the school you would call it? Like the new journalism of uh, Hunter S. Thompson, uh, Tom Wolfe, Norman Mailer, where the jur journalism itself transforms into a, a literary art form and is subject to a sort of form of narrativization. Do you think that that's still pertinent nowadays? Because it seems that a lot of journalists, when you especially read their Twitter feeds, they have a sort of a, a narrative of their own place within current events, within contemporary issues as the hero or as this sort of good versus evil or as this highly, I mean, depending on what you're talking about, I mean, there's whole journalists that have made their bones on taking personal issue stories, like the personal column and, and like the Lindy West, you know, turning it into this uh, foil for the greater issue of the day. Do you think that that's still the case or is sort of, there's more like consensus going on or do you, do you still see like that new journalism influence um, is in the background like it seems the journalists they themselves want to be this like you know like kind of like the activist or the philosopher or whatnot 
Well, um, one question that I think about occasionally is why is there any outlet doing really uh, well reported features from a right of center perspective? It used to be what uh, what the Weekly Standard was very good at. Mm. The trouble is doing that kind of journalism is very expensive and it has a lot of risks. I, I think the heyday of the new journalism is is partially a function of unlimited expense accounts. And, uh, you know, the, the because the, the pennies are being pinched now, the, there's just nobody out there that's going to give a writer a leash, a really long leash, the kind that they would give Hunter S. Thompson or Tom Wolf. Uh, it, the space to go and do um, stories like that. Mm. And so, so that's problem number one. I mean, I just don't think the economics of it work. Um, problem number two is the fact that most of these journalists don't have anything to say and <laughs> their, their own personal point of view is just isn't very interesting. Yeah. Other than their own megalomania, yeah. Right. <laughs> it, they, um, you know, who a, a guy you might mention would be like Ryan Lizza. He's a wonderful reporter, but like what I want to read... Uh, uh, a big dollop of Ryan Lizza inserted into all of his stories. No, I'm afraid I don't think I would. <laughs> uh, you, you know, the, the, there aren't any feature writers that I, I really want to be, I, that I want to hear from the the, the subject, uh, or sorry, if you're from the author, you know, have them injected into it. No, nobody's really doing that. But but the, um, I, I guess the bigger problem is, uh, and I ask myself this too, like why is there no, why have, th there are still some regional papers that are around, there yeah, are, yeah, I was yeah. reading a bunch of uh, um, staff editorials from the Kansas City Star today. And uh, why has the Kansas City Star not decided to zag when everybody else is zigging? Well, why did they not decide to be uh, a sort of right of center regional paper? Uh, you know, a, a, a institution that would be right for this would be USA Today. USA Today, instead of, um, instead of being like the right of center uh, in the way that the post is left of center, they're, uh, they want to be like the Washington Post at a lower reading level. And everybody wants to be the Washington Post at a lower reading level. And I'm not quite sure why. Uh, Even the Washington Post themselves wants to be mm, at a lower right. reading level. Right. Uh, <laughs> nobody's yeah. actually kind of changing their point of view. And you compare that to like uh, the, the two Chicago papers during uh, the run up to the Second World War. You've got Colonel McCormick's isolationist uh, uh, battleship the Chicago Tribune, and then the Sun-Times, which is like very Europhile, um, pro-British, uh, really a, a pro-British intelligence operation. But, uh, you know, you had these real, uh, you know, there was real conflict there. And, and each one of those papers had a very distinct sensibility. And, and that's something that I think we don't really have anymore. Yeah, uh, I wish we did. I, well, I, I, I guess counter it a little I wish bit. we had more partisan newspapers. I, I want to counter that by uh, this one thing that uh, was published by uh, Andrew Sullivan on his Substack uh, about a week ago, Emerging Cracks in the Woke Elite, where he talked about certain articles that were coming out from uh, the New York Times and such. Let's see over here. He says, um, uh, let's see. Um, blah, 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 blah. Everybody subscribe while yeah, I'm looking at this over Andrew here. Andrew Sullivan, for years, he was like... The token, oh, like... Oh, here, here, I found it. You know, the New York. Okay, so uh, uh, similarly, I was quite uh, shocked to read in The New Yorker a fair and empathic, uh, empathic profile of an academic geneticist, Catherine Page Harden, who acknowledges a role for genetics and social outcomes. 
So that is one example over here. There was another example, uh, let's see, in that same profile. He says, the profile also puts the following woke heresy into the minds of the Upper West Side. Building a commitment to egalitarianism on our genetic uniformity is building a house on sand, and this genetic diversity is mankind's most precious resource, not a regrettable deviation from an ideal state of monotonous sameness. The New Yorker is also telling its readers that there are around 1,300 sites on the genome that are correlated with success in school. So anyway, that is one example from the New Yorker over here. He talked before about the Atlantic, uh, writing um, article recently as well, though talked about uh, cancel culture. So I don't know. He talks about uh, there being examples of uh, the cracks in the woke elite that these mainstream newspapers are all of a sudden starting to, you know, step by step. I don't think we should expect them to all of a sudden write things, you know, go from one to five. But uh, Arthur, do you see any hope in that? Well, I, I no, uh, candidly, no. I my my sense is so like uh, the the problem I'm talking about where no regional newspaper is zagging where they could zag where everybody else is zigging. Nobody's doing that. Um, one of the the ways that's been mentioned for solving that problem is like, what if you had uh, some right wing billionaire like Peter Thiel or something by the L.A. Times? <laughs> but uh, th think about like game that out in your mind and you'll see it's a foolish idea. Um, you know, w eventually, I think if you tried to do that and steer it in a more right wing direction, you would find that there's nothing worth owning there because mm -hmm. the newsroom's just been so rotted through. And, uh, you know, anybody who's there is already committed to kind of the left wing point of view. You'd have to fire everybody. The name would be shit. Um, you know, you'd ruin the brand. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it would it would basically be impossible to do. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing that gives me even more trepidation about this is, is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty pro-union in general, but the, the way that unionization has worked in the journalism industry is just incredibly cynical. Um, the, the, uh, there have been a lot of newsrooms that have unionized in the last couple of years. BuzzFeed was one, New York, New York Magazine, I believe, unionized. Uh, a lot of these institutions have unionized, I believe, through CWA. And... Um, but the problem is, you know, as as a right winger, I would never uh, th that union would never protect me uh, and yeah. it's not meant to protect me. It's not for me. Um, it, it would be more often used to make complaints against me being and my harmful ideas in the workplace. That, well, that's Yeah, oh, no, I was going to say when current affairs tried to union. <laughs> mm, I right. think that. Yeah. Well, Plus, this is kind of like Alexander Barr talking about how, Robinson, oh how these uh, yeah. how these industries that are shells of their former self, like Teen Vogue or something like that, how nobody cares about these industries anymore, and they're the ones that are getting the most leftist, the most woke. It's kind yeah, of like no, the, it, uh, it's it's cargo cult unionism. Um, mm. the, the the heyday That's of unionism really it was when uh, you know in, uh, industries were really taking off; they were incredibly productive. And workers wanted to get a slice of that pie. Uh, totally noble. I I, uh, mm -hmm. I favor that. But these are industries that are totally dying, uh, and, and they're trying to get a little slice of Alden Global Capital's money. Uh, you know, it, it, before the institution closes up shop when Facebook changes their algorithms. The uh, you know the 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 other piece of this uh, we this is we could probably go on for for half an hour about this is just the the. Uh, so I worked at the Daily Caller, which is uh, largely an advertising funded um, uh, publication, which is one, it's one of the few 
that's that heavily reliant on advertising. It's just all free. Um, and uh, it, it, that's not quite true. I was actually the editor for the first paywall, but it is still mostly free. And uh, when you have a business model like that, and everybody's reliant on the same business model to a more or less degree, you're basically 100% beholden to the algorithms of the big social media companies. Um, I, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, uh, you guys might have heard of this, the pivot to video, the vaunted pivot to video. All of these publications were going to bet really hard on big video departments. They were going to put out all of these you know, sexy, well-produced videos. Vox did this. BuzzFeed did this. Um, IJR, which is a right of center publication, did this. And then Facebook changed their video algorithms and most of them disappeared. Uh, yeah, now this and yeah. Yeah, now this is another one. Um, those guys all just got totally screwed for a totally arbitrary decision on the part of the platforms. And uh, IJR didn't survive it. They, they are a shadow of their former selves. Um, Mike closed up. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not, there, there can be no stability in this industry under those conditions. There, there needs to be a sort of either, one of the proposals that's going around, and we, uh, on my old podcast, we had the guy who's lobbying for this, on the show, they, they want to basically have the, the publishers uh, have collective bargaining rights. They, they want to be allowed to cartelize in order to negotiate with the platforms, which is one way of making it work. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that there aren't better ways, but that's that's one way of doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. What, what do you think is the bare essence? And I want to get uh, trustworthy Slav and average centrist views on this as well. Uh, in fact, we could start with Slav, then go to average, and then go to uh, yourself, or Arthur. What would you say is the average uh, thing that's not average? What do you think is the based, the basis thing that is needed for uh, decent journalism where, yes, you still need people to go out into the field, to go travel countries, but you don't need a newsroom anymore, do you? You don't need all those people pretending to work behind the anchor or whatever it is that they're doing there. I mean, maybe they're working for real. Yeah, like I don't the know. movies, like but... that one Russell Crowe film. It's like the hour that I publish the story that's yeah. going to bring down. Like like even the regional, like Arthur, you, you had a great point about the regional stories. I remember... um reading the book dark alliance by gary webb and that was published by the um the ran contra stuff uh, san jose mercury was it called yeah right yeah because at the time it seemed like little papers even like like lev even in your parts like the village voice used to be i know it's like the totally <laughs> like progressive like hippie oh dippy. man i met this guy at a bar who worked for the village voice my god that was not <laughs> yeah. a great conversation it oh, wasn't man. a good conversation. It was not a good conversation. Well, they but, used and... to publish some subversive shit from these like counterculture writers, like Grove Press. Like it used to be actual. Like even Playboy, ironically enough, had good articles. I mean, it was, it was a joke, but I they had brilliant. Articles. I unironically read like the 1950s Playboys for the articles. Yeah, as the well 1970s as, as well was, as the beautiful right? playmates, Joyce Nazari. Liv Lindland from 1970s. Oh, go no, to our go, go to our Discord. Okay, go to our Discord server and just no. scroll up. You'll thank me later. I'm posting my d the Discord uh, server. Scroll just up. Trust really Slav. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> go for it, Slav. What would you say is the minimum we need to have good journalism in this country? Uh, you know, with still having people on the ground and stuff. But uh, what would be your ideal journalism? 
<laughs> how was how was the way you you worded it originally? Was the basist? I wanted to say like basic, I, like the basis. Oh, I, 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 I thought it, you meant like in the. I thought you meant like as in like based, and I was like, I feel talked down to. Uh, <laughs> it's like diffidence, right? You get the, the the minor spelling. I mean, I don't know. Okay, I mean like acknowledging right out of the gate that like journalism i mean i think i just generally have like a a, a general distaste for it but it's a dirty job that somebody's got to do I, I, it's so nice that arthur uh, got up and walked away before he had to hear me say that more visible well perfect um I don't know. Defund universities. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Uh, that's probably going to yeah. be the best. That's but, kind of an about, ideal. Go ahead. But like, what about how? Um, it's it's not so much a lack of information. Well, it is a lack of information because most people, um, it seems their capacity to retain information is going down. But rather, it's the deluge of opinion and sort of like journalism and hyper reality doesn't make sense anymore in a lot of ways so i wonder like what would your take and what average centrist and arthur's take on that like is it that we're just the flood of what the average people is seeing and hearing and looking at mm -hmm. is so great that we really can't you know we're talking about like uh like just in just the contempt i think a lot of them have like what was speaking of the the mr hands paste <laughs> Who's that guy that, that people think he's a glowy um Ken Ken Clippin something? Yeah, Ken Clippenstein. He is Clippenstein. a glowy. He is a glowy, right. He <laughs> he uh said like, well, if you don't like it, then how about like, you know, just move to another state or get another job? It's like that's kind of not really the point of why people are mistrustful of certain authorities. It's just like this very I, I don't know, some some of these I, I I understand why journalism is like yeah. lower on the totem pole nowadays than uh, lawyers and uh, serial rapists. Yeah. Oh shit! I said I should say lawyers are scum as well. Like. I mean, <laughs> oh, I think no. I mean I don't know. Like I guess like politicians. Getting, I guess like getting more like I'm seeing like I'm seeing like different ways of interpreting this question, right? And, and it's like yeah. okay, like do we do we want to talk about like the media landscape, right? Well, like I, I don't really know. Like that's just that's No, like here a, here's that... here's how I could see it. Like we could have people <laughs> Lev doesn't want me to talk today. I don't want you to know. I love, would love to for you to talk, but just to contextualize it a bit. I want to try to imagine what we can do with having more independent media that becomes more trustworthy as opposed to people being dependent on the Borg. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I'm getting to here. Like, how can we make people look at online creators? Yeah. They all they probably already are to a certain extent, but have much more trustworthiness there and much okay. more credibility in that sphere as well. Yeah, okay, sure. Okay, well, then, like, I guess just practically, I would just say just accelerate the process that's going on right now and just let, like, the media just completely invalidate themselves more and more and more. Uh, I mean, like good people doing good shit, that cream rising to the top, that's always going to be fucking happening. There's always going to be some independent person who's doing good shit. Like there's always going to be like a Lev and a Geo making arts, right? There's always going to be somebody uh, uh, doing, you know, solid reporting. I, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm, just, I'm, I'm, 
contradicting but, myself but are, a little. But are too many people stuck within the system to such an extent? Maybe we're the ones in the bubble thinking that the people are getting free from the matrix. Meanwhile, well, so most that's people an interesting give a point because so I I had an interesting experience uh, just yesterday, which was, and I've actually had this a couple of times now, which is. You know, I live in the Pacific Northwest. I'm like, I'm, I'm in the belly of the beast, right? And I've been really encouraged by a couple uh, conversations I've had with normies I know to just realize really like how little, how, how little genuine, genuine belief normie libs have in the official narrative that's going on right now. And like, they're the beneficiaries of this. Like, I mean, nobody is, we're all getting fucked. Right. But I mean, like they're, you know, in can, the can game. You me, can you give me an example uh, of a conversation? Uh, just specifically talking about COVID stuff. Talking oh, about. Okay, well, then don't give of... me an example of conversation. No, I'm kidding. I mean, you could just uh, <laughs> say it in certain ways that, you know, minimize. See, Arthur, this is how much we have to strive to make sure that our channel doesn't get taken yeah, down. Right, right. <laughs> this is what we're dealing with here. Yeah, I, I, I err on the side of less, right? Um, no, but but I mean, in this case, I think that just being vague is, is fine because it, it's all one fucking thing and it's all... I mean, do you basically believe that this is all horse shit and that you just can't believe the mainstream uh, just view and explanation of the world and just m most of everything you're told? Um, uh, yes or no. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more and more impressed and encouraged by, by mm -hmm. how many normies I encounter just don't really put a lot of stake into that. And so, yeah, like if you're asking like, what is the way forward and everything, it's like, well, fuck, like I think our elites are doing a pretty fucking good job of invalidating themselves as it is. And then outside of that, I mean, like what does an actual ideal look like? Like, I don't think that this is just limited to journalism. I think that like a huge problem is just that we just don't really cultivate a very high quality uh, elite to begin with. Absolutely. And, and I think that that is a huge part of that. And, you know, I'm saying that begrudgingly, obviously, um, you know, because everyone likes the idea of, you know, that not being the, mm. the salute, just a better well, elite. Right? Well, it's, it's kind of like what you were referring to earlier when you were talking about having to be careful not going into the direction of the little guy is always right where yes, as you exactly. may already know like i believe in a hierarchy i believe we're always going to have some kind of hierarchy my whole point though is i really think the hierarchy right now is not doing a very competent job at being in the position that it well, is well the right hierarchy now. right now rewards <laughs> behaviors and values that are like anti-fucking social and anti-human and like if you can just i mean i don't know like as vague as i can get just like changing the incentive system um but like i feel like you need like shotgun brain surgery to be able to get to that point like mountains need to fucking move um, mm. but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the yeah. best thing, I think the best thing for somebody working in independent media right now is to just let the clown show in the mainstream continue. Um, because like there's, there's, what the fuck am I going to do? What the fuck am I going to do as an individual to like, really like stick it to people at the Boston globe or the New York times or, or things like that. I can point to the fact that like, I don't think that you know, monopolization, Sinclair broadcasting, all these things. 
I don't like those things, right? But like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm going to let them just bleed themselves we, out because we, they think, seem to I, be doing a good job. I think we have more power than we realize. For example, over here, here's a picture of me with uh, Julia Gardner, oh, uh, who I Christ. know for uh, several s several years. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful girl. <sighs> and uh, here is a picture of Julia Gardner with uh, what's her uh, name? The um, I don't remember her name, but you know who I'm talking about. That uh, that lady, the uh, stepdaughter. Of Ernhoff like Harris, yeah, Ernhoff. Oh, Ella Emhoff. Yes, Lil Ella Bushwick. Yeah, Lil Bushwick. They're in the, <laughs> they're in the uh, gala here. So the reason oh, why I'm saying this, man. the reason why I'm saying this is because I saw memes about yeah, this. She's picture. an art school grad, right? She went to Pratt or something. I think. I uh, think yeah, so. Yeah. But did. the reason why I'm mentioning this is that I think that this is a very um, small world when it comes to the kind of. Uh, area in new york that i grew up with uh, that i grew up in the kind of people that i grew up with and i think there are going to be people like myself who are in such positions where they could actually speak to people who are within certain circles i don't think it's done that often so you, i don't think so, it's ever done so you're saying lev that you're going to be our counter elite Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> sure. Go, sure. Hash, I'm going to need some concessions. Hashtag invest in love. Hashtag invest in love. That's how this works. No, but it, it is true, though, because I really think that a lot of people, like you were saying, Slav, in the bottom of their heart, I think they're already sensing something's wrong. They need a bit more of a push. I think just to see things through a little bit better. And it's already happening right now with, I know Arthur, you were talking before about how you don't see this as being that big of a deal. I would say, give it time when it comes to the article that came out in the New Yorker, like uh, Sullivan was talking about and in the Atlantic. So give if, me some if, context here. What's not a big deal. Sure. So the article that came out in the Atlantic was one where they were bemoaning the woke politics of today and the uh, harsh punishments that are leveled at people who divert away from uh, the uh, mainstream mm -hmm. consensus, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or for people who get canceled. And then there was another article that was talking about uh, genetics and the uh, outcome of, uh, you know, human behavior, which is a very taboo topic, as we all know, but that it was something that was published in... Um, I think that was in a New Yorker magazine. What is your take on that woke article? What's your take on that? Well, as far as uh, my take on it, I think it's too early to tell where exactly this is going to go. There's an organization that I'm uh, pretty close with, FAIR, the Foundation Against Economic... Uh, uh, <laughs> Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. And we recently oh, had one of, our, uh, one of our great uh, oh. BTR guests, uh, Daniel Itfrenze. I'm not saying his last name correctly, but he was on our uh, show multiple times. He's definitely going to be on again. But he was recently featured in a column by uh, Barry Weiss, and I'm going to link it uh, right over oh. here. And uh, no, Gio, you can moan and groan all day for all I care. I'm telling you, but... these people aren't your friends. You're not going to. Uh, well, okay, so Daniel is my friend. Very wise to the world aren't going to defend I'm you. Not I'm, about yeah, about Gio, Gio, I'm not talking about Gio. I'm not talking about Barry Weiss. They would put you in the camp. <laughs> I, I'm not talking about Barry Weiss here. No, Word one second. God. I'm not talking about Barry Weiss. What I'm talking about is the general oh. tendency of these more kind of like. Uh, on the fence elites to start changing the narrative from what it was before. My question to everybody here is, 
do you think that this is something that's going to accelerate into what? Or do you think that this is just a temporary setback and Cluthu is still going to keep swimming left, as uh, Moldbug said? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so when we're talking about some fucking article that some bird brain at the New Yorker wrote, I'm sorry if, if this is someone anyone here knows or, or anything, but it, it, when we're talking about like some, some person at a publication being like, all right, this is my line in the sand against wokeness. We went too this far, isn't, guys. This, no, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's hard to overstate how little of a threat that is. It's, that is a defense mechanism for this system of belief. Like, mm. like inter-elite like, outcries against, the, against progressivism is, is how they beat critics basically to the punch it, it they, they absorb counter narratives and it strengthens itself. So not only is that yeah. not at all a sign of great things to come, it's literally the exact opposite. It like like in in that kind of change won't be indicated on the inside, right? Like like it mm, will be I'll, an. Go ahead. I'll, I'll give you a counter uh, counter to that, we'll and I it. only have one counter. It's that uh, parents who I know who uh, are part of this organization, they've already started taking steps to change the way that the school board functions. They're voting with their wallet when it comes to what exactly their kids are being exposed to, where they don't like a lot of this uh, woke nonsense that they're teaching their own kids. And these are, again, the, the elites. These are the people who are going to be the... Uh, top of the hierarchy you know several years to come from now so why what you may say may be true to a certain extent i'm mm -hmm. looking at this uh just like the motivation that the parents have for doing what they're doing and i wouldn't say it's the motivation that you're attributing uh, to them at least i i, I want to say one final thing before i let someone someone else i'm talking so much here is you're like, on fire it is 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 um, the counterbalance to that, and it's a matter of which one is a bigger factor here, right? The distaste that these individual parents have against this, which they're completely justified in because it's abhorrent and it's fucking child abuse, right? Um, does that counterbalance the fact that there is humongous incentive to buy into these these social? technologies this 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 style of talking and behaving and of thinking and of and of interacting with people is a way of climbing up right and that's a hell of an incentive and does that incent is that incentive uh outweighed by parents distaste and concern for their children i i just i really don't think so because because i think that the parents also want their kids to fucking climb dude i mean one of the best things you can do for your career is to just become fluent in this shit and i'm sure that a huge number of these people don't even believe the shit they're saying but like you know you get fluent in telling your fat friend that they're valid and saying talking about bodies and spaces and it's deranged shit. that was that was a relevant point slab for what was happening this week well and then in addition to that uh th there's the fact that most journalism is patronage based and boom that shift, uh is what Oh, no, I'm just I'm agreeing with you in an oh, yeah, idiotic sorry. way. Um, yeah, the uh, it, it's patronage based and it's been that way for a long time. and It's been moving in that direction. The, um, the the big notable shift was the Tampa Bay Times. The Tampa Bay Times used to be like a mid-market, pretty big newspaper successful here down in Florida, where I am right now. Um, they went nonprofit and uh, 
that's they've been pretty successful turning into a nonprofit. They've gone from being a normal company to being a nonprofit, which means they're patronage based. And th uh, this is kind of a um, that shift is happening. That's sort of in the middle market of the industry. At the top of the market, you've got Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos isn't making any money on the Washington Post. He's losing a lot yeah. of money. Uh, and then down to the bottom, you've got all these small nonprofits where a lot of the journalism gets done these days. And so the thing about patronage is it's usually risk averse. Um, the, 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 uh, I think we can be blinded a little bit by like the art market of the 20th, 20th century where people are always in search of like avant-garde stuff. The vast majority of patronage is actually pretty risk averse. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, it certainly is in journalism. Uh, it's, it's hard to build up an institution um, obviously, the best way to fix all of this is for somebody to give me a pile of money, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know anybody yet. Uh, well, we're we're I, being paid hmm. by Peter Thiel as we speak right now. Oh, good. Okay. I'll, but, uh, but another oh, thing that God. the parents, mm -hmm. another thing that those parents are doing, by the way, is they are bringing in people like uh, Daryl Davis, like uh, Peter Bogosian. I know, Gio, you're not a big fan of Peter Bogosian, but regardless, <sighs> they are doing certain things like hiring lawyers to help out teachers that have been fired from their school for opposing critical race theory so they may be doing a specific thing with their kids but they're also doing something with the community at large so my hope is that they are going to change the kind of patronage that goes on where again to alexander bart's point and what i was bringing up before the industries that seem to be the wokest today are the ones that also seem to be the dinosaurs they're the ones that seem to be yeah. uh you know so when we're in that situation i doubt I doubt there's going to be a fucking Met Gala uh, 20 years from now. Maybe it'll be there, but it'll take a whole different form than the one that it takes today. I think a lot of these things may be on their way out, and my hope is that there's going to be a refreshing of the elite. There's going to be uh, different people who will uh, step in there. By and refreshing, we mean watering the tree with their blood in minecraft of course that's oh god yeah minecraft. no but no but again no i don't want anybody to get hurt at all i am a very anti-violence person my whole point my whole point here though is that new generations are going to grow up while they're growing up the people who are here right now there's going to come a certain point where people who accommodate themselves to more and more extreme ways of acting inside of the culture i think that the people who are going to be the most accommodating are going to be just like um the people who were accommodating to joseph stalin they're either going to be squashed out and uh canceled if they're too smart if they figure out that this is uh you know not really working or they're going to be clever and manipulative to a certain extent but at a certain point i think the only people who are going to be left are going to be the idiots are going to be the ass kissers and when you have a society that is built on that kind of uh, foundation i don't think that part of society is going to last for uh, a long time. I think that naturally something else is going to assume the leadership position that the idiots, the weak-willed idiots that are occupying 20 years from now, uh, the industries that we're looking at today getting woke, like I think that they're just going to dwindle and melt away from sheer incompetence and something else is going to take its place. But I don't know, Arthur, am I being too optimistic here? Yes, you're being too optimistic. Uh, 100%. I, I, 100%. <laughs> I think things get worse before they get better. And, oh, no, I'm not saying they're uh, going to get better instantly. Of course, I agree. They're going to get worse first. Sure. 
But I'm well, saying after they talk. get worse. And, and I, I think one thing, oh, that, cool. one detail that's worth maybe discussing a little bit is uh, when you look at some of these outrages that have been roiling newsrooms from the New York Times, they're having it at the Wall Street Journal as well, where uh, and the wokeness is coming largely from the newsrooms. You, you'd think, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the really bad woke stuff is coming from the opinion section because the opinion, no. you know, they're allowed to have their opinion there. Um, but it's actually the opposite. It's the newsrooms that have been pushing everybody else. Because if you remember that Tom Cotton op-ed in the New York Times. Oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the uh, editorial page. Because, I mean, if you run an editorial page, and I ran an opinion section, I know what it's like. It's your job to run people from across the spectrum. And it's gonna, their job is getting harder and harder as the newsroom will tolerate less and less. Uh, and so I think we're probably going to see some pretty, you know, sparks fly uh, be, because of that. Um, and then also, I, I mean, at, at the big and institutional players, I think this is sort of what you're talking about. You know, the the, um, the ones that have a hard time, they, they kind of they come across as a little bit staid and stuffy. Um, it's because of their DEI departments. That's where this is all coming from. And I don't think people quite realize um, the degree to which DEI has infiltrated sort of the editorial processes of newsrooms at, at a um, at a fairly prominent newspaper company. It's one of the biggest in the country. They have a diversity committee that get, that's given free reign on the content management system of the of the publication. They can just go in and flag stories that they don't like or that piss them off. And then those people get a talking to. We've not really had a conversation about what that means for editorial process. It's it's really uh, it's a major change it, because some uh, some guy on the diversity committee is given veto power over articles that get run. I don't, we haven't had a national conversation about that, and it, it it has it shapes news coverage in a very important way. I mean, it makes uh, reporters and editors reluctant to cover certain things. Um, it, it's big. It's a major change. What it, it, what is DEI for the people who don't know what that is? Oh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the diversity bureaucrats, basically. Yeah. And uh, wow. the, the big companies all have DEI departments. And the, the, amount that the, the amount of power they're given over actual content varies. But uh, in some cases, it's actually quite a lot. I mean, it's pretty amazing if you just think about, like, how would, how would most people react if they basically understood that there was a, a in every news office, a priest... <laughs> who got the final say of what does and does not get published. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Hmm. But then to the point that you were talking about earlier, where it gets worse before it gets better. Once again, I agree with the getting worse part, but how do you see the getting worse part playing out? And would you give any credence to the idea that we would eventually be able to get out of that and for there to be like a competition to the elite that we have today that wouldn't subscribe to it anymore. Yeah, I mean, this is the big question. Like I said, the reason why I want to see uh, some regional papers zag where others are zigging is because I think it would be very successful. Um, there, are, there are major markets that aren't being served by like a, a competent newsroom. Um, and, you know, I, I've got many, many criticisms of the conservative media. A lot of the stuff that gets published is not so good. Uh, mm. if, if there were a credible regional paper that just decided to be center right, I think they would be pretty successful. But for some reason, that hasn't happened. And uh, that that's one of the things that makes me like pretty trepidatious about all of this is if it's not happening, then the rod is already too deep. 
Yeah. Well, you keep mentioning so uh, if that's the and... case. I guess to finish to finish answering your question, I mean, those newsrooms just keep keep failing. They they uh, continue to, to have find it hard to to hold subscribers. Uh, that sort of thing. They're, they'll just continue to fade away. They, they'll they will. What, what I'm talking about in a, in terms of a shift in strategy, um, I I think that's the way to save some of these guys. But if they don't want to be saved, then they'll continue to fail. But when you talk about it, you're also mentioning a lot of times newsrooms and uh, papers. And in a way, it almost reminds me of the uh, email icon being a, uh, you know, a uh, an envelope where I wonder if a lot of these are even going to be. I mean, I don't think they're that relevant today as they may have been. And I realize it may be a bit insensitive since you're, you know, you, you were within journalism and there may be a part of you that kind of, you know, remembers the good old days where I don't know. But the point is, is that, yeah, well, yeah, the point, the point that I'm getting to here, Arthur, is that um, with the Internet, with anybody like here on BTR just being able to talk. I don't want it to be unprofessional. I want everything to be thoroughly researched. But I'm just saying that there may be more creative ways of getting information out thanks to, you know, kind of like what we're doing right now. And uh, would you would you have like any any ideas of how we can integrate, let's say, the professionalism that would uh, come from more of an old school journalism background, which is kind of lacking today in mainstream journalism anyway. But is there any way to merge that with uh, the online content creation? Well, uh, you know, I, I can tell you what I'd do if somebody gave me that big pile of money. Uh, I, I think what's desperately needed right now is sort of a right leaning ProPublica because there are a lot of these kind of big public interest stories that are just not getting told. There are a lot of $20 bills that are on the ground. Um, building up a competent newsroom that could tell those stories, I, I think, would be quite successful. Like a, a sort of right-leaning ProPublica would do very well. Um, I, I'm skeptical. So like a, a lot of what's interesting about, about new media is what they do with video. Uh, but I, I, I couldn't in good conscience invest in video right now mm. just because... Um, there, there's no, uh, you can get screwed over by YouTube so easily. There, there's no, and there's not a, a credible alternative. Um, so, so I, I mean, it, it would be hard for me to say that, you know, you should get super creative with the content. I mean, I, I would say just tell the stories, like do, do written journalism, because everything else that's very expensive, uh, you can have the rug pulled out from, from under you very, very quickly. Hmm. Plus, well, podcasting's destroying them. I mean, that's... That too. I mean, but, well, but, but I example... wouldn't see them as enemies, though. Like, I would see podcasts should actually start teaming up with more of these uh, local, uh, you know, former newspaper uh, people so that maybe there could be some kind of synergistic element there. I don't know. That yeah, sounds like I mean, poison to me. But... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Why do you say that, average centrist? I want to know. Uh, well, I I'm going to... I don't hope you don't mind, but I want to make, like, a bit more of a general point about this Go whole for it. thing. Um I'm going to, and, and Gio, you'll probably like this because I'm going to speak in biblical terms here. Mm. But um, I see the journalistic class and the activist class as essentially the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the whole situation. Like, you know, the whole thing with Jesus when he was coming out, whether you believe in him or not, it doesn't really matter. The whole symbolism of the whole situation was that when he came out against them, was that he was pointing out their hypocrisies because they would go out into the world basically virtue signaling. You know, when Jesus was talking about, you know, oh, don't um, uh, don't do your prayers in public and stuff like that. Yeah. The whole point of it is to say, like, don't 
like, you know, be genuine, basically. This whole shit is essentially just a facade. And all this journalistic class stuff that I'm seeing, like all this manipulation of people and stuff like that for their own agendas and stuff, it's essentially the same kind of thing. We're just seeing it repeating over and over again. It's, it's not changed ever since then. Whether Jesus is real or not, what's been codified in, in the Gospels is, is literally just what is going on, on and on and on and on. And right. if we're not going to acknowledge that, then it's just going to keep happening. Like, it, it, like, you know, to me, like, trying to have some kind of faith, the reason why I say they're, they're poison is because trying to have some kind of faith in these people I don't mean to have this as a slight against you, Arthur. By the way, like I, I understand there are journalists out there who do have integrity, but I'm just trying to say, I'm just trying to say that, like in general sense, in a in a, like a cultural sense, they act as arbiters to the truth and what is real, and they essentially they kind of wank themselves off. They they get off on trying to manipulate the world to what they want it to be, and they and they mm. have a god complex about it, and. I just, to me, they are, they're like the middleman between the elite. Like they are the middleman that, how do you put it in words? Like they just, they just fuck with everybody. They just fuck with everything and make everything worse. I've never seen any, it's hard for me to point out a lot of journalism that's done any real good in recent years. I'm not saying there's never been any journalism that's done good. There obviously has been, that's uncovered particular things. But in recent years, especially in the political sphere, a lot of the time, it's just a lot of smoke and mirrors and bullshit just to aggrandize themselves. And I don't know. I just think it's a waste of time to try. It's and like even... a useless middleman. It's like a manager. Yeah. yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's like an agent or something, you know, like mm -hmm. they're just. And the Godward podcast says, yes, they act as priests. That's why raw, unedited, unprofessional podcasts were and are an inter uh, an interesting threat. Mm. I mean, when you have somebody going back to, again, like Sticks Hexenhammer 666, who we are going to have on with Joel Davis coming up in a couple of weeks. But when you have somebody like him, my idea here, Arthur and Avertentris and Geo and Trustworthy Slav, is that you can have somebody like Sticks. Uh, maybe not sticks exactly because sticks is an unusual cat. He's able to store a lot of information in his head, but let's say somebody less competent than sticks, but still interesting. You get somebody like that and you give that guy or gal, whatever, I'm not going to discriminate. You give them a uh, whole group of people that would go out, do research on the field, do research at home, you know, send them certain things, have them go through them, analyze them and have a kind of structure where there is an independent voice who people can trust for uh, you know their views, while at the same time having a kind of support system around them to just make a lot of uh, you know make a lot of good content and be able to reach out to well, places a that a single person do wouldn't. Love, and it's trash. That's I what don't... fucking Ethan Klein does. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. they have I... a whole team. I I'm I'm kind of gonna just throw out the entire premise here because it feels like. It feels like here comes slob flipping the fucking table. Like Go I, for it. It, it, it kind of sounds like you're describing like how can, unless I'm just horribly misinterpreting, it's a, it's a little bit like, how can we civilize independent media? How can we get podcasts and independent reporting, whatever up a little bit more to the standards of institutional action? Right. 
and without and, them being affected by said institutions as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that um, probably the biggest factor here is just um, media environment. I think the, the, the real answer is that everything, and it, we already see this, everything is going to start looking uh, less like uh, nightly news and more like uh, Instagram stories. And that we're going to, and and that and that what's actually oh, going to happen is that we're going to move away from rationalism, and that it's going to. I mean, I think I think that, I think you talk to the average millennial, and if you actually get like a really candid moment, most most of like if you talk to your average like normie libtard, they're going to fucking say that like you know growing up they got most of their news from like John Stewart or something, right? Yeah. Um, and like, I think that that's telling and, and I don't think that it's the right question to be like, well, how are we going to correct this course? How are we going to correct this? It almost kind of seems a little bit like trad, right. Of being like, how are we going to get back to 1950 so that we can just get back to where we are. How are we going to get back to 1990 slash? <laughs> yeah, right. No, no. What's, yeah. what's going to happen is that you're, you're, it's, yeah, it's, it's ultimately going to be a move away from rationalism. It's going to be less uh reporting and and standards and it's and it's going to be more infotainment and i don't even necessarily think that that needs to be looked at as a bad thing to mm. be perfectly mm. honest with you well, uh Arthur, what do you oh stay cut you off Slav? no i think i think i think that was yeah. a good time to come i agree out. with you this is why that one tweet i quoted in my piece and uh ending bigly uh i forget by who it was a picture of Alex Jones. It said the the age of the expert, the managerial bug man is over. The age of the shaman, the oracle is now. And that's literally Alex Jones. That's literally so. it. Like you, you have the ability to put it into poetic terms that I don't have. That's that's mm. it. That was a great. Mm. But what do you think of that analysis? And uh, I want to ask you about the future of journalism as someone who is in the industry, uh, and also. Uh, a spicy question would be um, Tucker Carlson. Sorry. Moldvin on Tucker Carlson. Moldbug? Moldbug. Moldbug? I call him Moldvin because it's like the new and the old. Oh, I get it. I get it. And wait till I I show you the album cover. Hold on. I'm going to post this in BTR chat right now. This is not going to be posted for about a week. But for all you lucky listeners here, I wanted to share it with you right now. This is for one of the shorts. But this is the uh, cover that I did over here. Oh, God. That's when, a... they were go- that's when they were going. That's when they were knife fighting Christ. over over mold bug and Carlsbad was just like, <laughs> you yeah. put an eyeball on orange. <laughs> this guy just yes. looks like a horror writer. You know, I mean, <laughs> yes, it's horrifying. <laughs> that one will be fun. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I want to hear right, Arthur's. I hear Arthur's um, take though. <laughs> Well, um, I, I do think even in terms of the, so uh, Moldbug is, is an old friend and Tucker is my former boss. So obviously I'm very happy to see the two of them getting together. I think. It's oh wonderful. yeah. That's, um, I didn't know you were friends with Moldbug. Yeah. We go sort of way back. Uh, huh. I, I've known him for a while. I, I was in, involved in the whole neo-reactionary blogging scene. That's in, right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know what, actually, Arthur, just to clear this up, this Can you get is a thumbnail. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is a thumbnail for a short from one of our streams. So this isn't actually scheduled. But now that you broke the ice by saying that, 
Hell yes, why not? Actually, I would love to have you and um, Moldba, uh, Curtis Yarvin uh, on the stream. Let me know, like, uh, if we can. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'd, I'd be down. Uh, you know, if you, yeah. if you can get in a word edgewise, I mean, Moldbug is is really uh, a prodigious talker. Yeah, if anybody can do that, it is Lev. <laughs> I would love to show him that. They share cover something as well. in common that lets the. Never mind. Never mind. Not oh gonna... lord! Hey, don't Gio. say the word. Don't right, the shade. The shade. <laughs> The All right. So, Arthur, okay, so Arthur, uh, so uh, yes, yeah, so uh, G Geo's question: future gonna, of journalism, yeah, and yeah, then Moldbug. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of it getting more like Instagram, I mean, I, I think that's probably right. If you look at the new um, successful media properties, the big one in DC is is Axios, and their whole style yeah. of presenting stories is basically bullet points, and. Uh, you know, the, the, the future of journalism is almost the opposite of, of the new journalism kind of stuff you were talking about, Gio. It's it's creating talking points for, mm. uh, you know, it's, actually, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about from, from my experience, what gets people to subscribe. So I was the first um, editor for the Daily Caller's paywall program. And there were basically three things that we could rely on to get conversions. One was big name interviews. Yeah. Uh, the other was telling stories, uh, telling angles of stories that were um, kind of being undercovered that the readers are going to care about, you know, take take a big story like Russiagate, find some little tidbit that's that's worth, you know, delving into more detail on and, and telling it more fully. But the third thing that really drives conversions is giving you talking points for when you're arguing with your lib friends. Mm, um, that that, that really does convert uh, uh, people to subscribers. And uh, I, I think uh, they're not thinking about it in this way, but that's ex exactly what Axios is about. They're, they're uh, pitching it to a particular kind of uh, upper middle class uh, professional type DC uh, person and uh, and giving them their bullet points for when they go into work in the morning. Um, and that's probably, uh, th that's that's your future right there. Yeah. Uh, mm. there, there's, I, I think part of the... Uh, one of uh, I, this is something this podcast probably cares a lot about the, is the artfulness of uh, of journalism kind of goes by the wayside when you turn it into an ESPN kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, when, when it's just a matter of ESPN and, and getting bullet points to talk, um, there's there's not really a whole lot of room for any artfulness. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that's that's rather sad, actually. Uh, but no, so that, that that's my vision of the future. I think like even the blog sphere, even like with NRX, I mean, there was various reasons why it imploded. Obviously uh, I came in like at the end, like I was more of like with frog Twitter. Um, I published like with Adam Wallace and Thermidor magazine, blah, blah, blah. So I think like, Oh, so you one... know, PP Carlo. <sighs> well, I did know. Yeah. Anyways. Um... I'm the one in the hot seat. You get me in trouble. Me in hot seat. Yeah, all I, these uh, well, inside baseball things. I'm just sitting uh, back here. I wish I had well, some popcorn. Nathan Duffy was in the chat, so I mean, I'm. Yeah, anyways, moving on. Um, so I, I do want to get, by the way, average centrist. Since your name is average centrist, I wonder if you could live up to your name. Would you have any criticism that you could level at, let's say, more of the right-leaning? Wait, wait. Uh, I wanted to finish my point, though. Apparatus. Okay, so Geo, finish your point. My then. point was that it seemed like yeah. a, a lot of them, like okay, a lot of them, they have like their one basic point, like 
fucking Lindy man, you know, and, but what I noticed is that when it came to, if you can arm the conservatives with like talking points to own the libtards, it's like, um, for example, like the thing that came to mind was anonymous conservative. Like everyone knows who he is because everyone for a time anyways was talking about like, yeah, over scale selection and that's how it's going to work. Right. Like, I think if you can give some kind of like snappy, like even listicle of like, okay, here's how you own the libs. Then it's like, that makes sense to me. I think even like, that's how Breitbart, I think got big during the Gamergate days because it was like, you know, or when Trump got elected, like every, like every single day on Breitbart, it was like the biggest, like the comments were like thousands of comments deep. It was like, that was the heyday, right? Like that, you know, and you really got to give it to Steve Bannon for doing that. Like, you know, until like the New York times, I was in class, actually, I was in class. I was in grad school at the time. And my friend texted me saying, I never thought I'd ever hear the name of, you know, Julius Evola on the New York times. And I'm like, damn. Then I learned mm. it was because Steve Bannon ref. Anyways, what were you going to say, love? So uh, my comment was to uh, average centrist. I think you may have had some time to uh, steep in my uh, question to you of what would you level as far as criticism of the more uh, right-leaning uh, media? Like, because, look, we were, I think, uh, giving uh, Kathy, I think it was very fair, like a lot of the points that we bring up, but I never wanted to be a one-sided thing. I mean, I consider mm. myself to be a classical liberal. People already know that here. And uh, when it comes to balancing out these things, I think it's very important for people who are within the right to take a look and see what could be certain bubbles that they're in uh, as well. I I honestly think they're kind of one in the same. Like, they, they, they're just two sides of the same coin. Like, they're trying to still uphold the same kind of situation. Like, you know, if, if, for instance, in this country, there's like a big thing with the left wing media where they're like against, um, you know, they're, they're all like, oh, Islamophobia, blah, blah, blah. But then there's like a right wing media that are like really savage against Muslims and stuff like that. But in my mind, they're just basically doing the same thing where they're fear mongering each other. They're basically just upholding like a situation where there's no uh, chance for compromise. There's no chance for um people to come together and have nuance between different things I, I think the right-wing media is essentially just a mirror image of it of the other side and i think like the left-wing media maybe in the, i don't know maybe i'm just having rose-tinted glasses here but i feel like in the past they were a little bit more in in they had a bit more integrity there was a bit more to them but like over time, like especially in the last 10 years or so, like they have literally just become Fox News. Like they're, they're all the same to me. Like they're just all the same. Like when I'm talking about media and journalists, I'm not just talking about the left wing media. I'm talking about all of them. Like oh, yeah. Conservatism them. TM is like, yeah. Well, they, are we just talking? Their... Well, hold on. Are we talking just conservatism TM? Because uh, average centrist, it doesn't sound to me like you're just talking about Turning Point USA and stuff like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're actually 
gravitating towards it. Well, like, I, don't I, know. I can explain it a little bit better. So what I'm gravitating yeah. towards too is that we do have like more mainstream milk toast uh, conservative outlets, but then we have conservative outlets that let's say would be more uh, reactionary based. Uh, like Arthur, mm-hmm. like you have a rea- reactionary in your Twitter profile. So what I'm trying to figure out here is what would you say average centrist would be the uh, kind of bubble that uh, Arthur may potentially uh, be in as well? Like, not I mean, to put I you on the spot, but since we did this too, uh, yeah, with, no, no, it's uh, cool. Yeah. I, I don't know Arthur's work that well, in all honesty. Um, so, well, I can't Arthur, really... how would you describe your work just uh, just to contextualize this a bit more? Because I don't want to speak out of turn here. I, I guess I'd just say I'm a conservative journalist. Um, mm. that the uh, most of the stories that I'd so, uh, in the, in the last couple of months, uh, I I hewed to what uh, so I. I had two goals when I was uh, the editor of the website at TAC. Uh, number one was to increase the quality of our reporting. And number two was to get more normie conservatives reading us. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the way to get normie conservatives reading us is by breaking stories. It's not by running the talking points. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I hewed, and you know, the ability of the conservative movement to expend resources in unproductive and stupid ways <laughs> is pretty much limitless. Yeah. Uh, they they are. It's the most wasteful racket in the country, uh, by a large margin. And my sense is, you can kind of see this today in the attacks on JD Vance. JD Vance, oh yeah, is about as Trumpy of a candidate as you could possibly hope for. Um, he it, and I mean that in a positive way. Um, you know, he's he's become uh, very much a Trumpist after Trump. And uh, and yet there are these attacks from from the conservative side against him for being a never Trumper, and uh, they're they're very bad faith. Um, and I think the ability of the conservative movement to kind of blackball people with attacks like that, I think it's very effective. And uh, I wanted to make sure that we didn't get drawn into that when I was editing TAC. And uh, so I we ran a piece. That was sort of the case for why you're not crazy if you think the election might have been stolen. We ran that. Um, we ran, I think, I think it's the only tough piece about Dominion voting systems that didn't provoke a lawsuit. So I, I'm pretty proud of that one. Um, and, then, and for the I, YouTube, uh, it was the election in Nicaragua that was stolen. Yes, so. yes exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, and I ran something on, on d- defending Matt Gates, and now it looks like he's been vindicated in a pretty big way. So I took a bunch of these risks, but it was partly because I was worried that these dishonest attacks would come would come for us at attack. And, and uh, that I, I think I think we were sort of successful at heading that off. But it, it's a constant concern because the conservative media is infuriating in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, what happened with Matt Gates? Is he this uh, R wordist young uh, cheese pizzaist? Is or is that was just blown yeah. out of? What happened there? Well, do, so do the, you have a pizza-related uh, thing, or I don't know? What what He's we got pepperoni on that bitch? <laughs> what he was accused of? He was, he was accused of two things. He was accused of sharing revenge porn on the floor of Congress. Okay. He, yeah. he was accused of sleeping with an underage prostitute. Right. And uh, the both of those claims turn out not to be true. Really? He, yeah. the wow. The girl who was the prostitute was actually of age. She was eighteen. Oh, but yeah. she wants a prostitute though. So that's, that's we got I, that I mean, right. Eighteen is kind of scummy, but that I get. It's not like mm. 
It's not well, like that. I'm, I'm it, just it, up to that uh, Sopranos episode where, uh, how does he say, who, uh, you know who I'm talking about, Gio, yeah, right? Richie, uh, Ralph Ralphie, Ralphie yeah. yeah. No, but because the reporting of it, like every, like all the resistards on Twitter, they legitimately bomb every single one of his tweets with like, you are a, not the, you know, the real world, not cheese pizza. You know what I mean? Like they yeah, persist they call in there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a YouTube thing? Can I not say that? Uh, it's in the middle of the stream. So it's all right. Probably don't worry. Okay. About it. Yeah. Just don't, just don't risk it again. You know, uh, but yeah, I just like, don't want to say he's part of the cabal of pedophiles that rule the country. I, uh, I yeah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. He, he wasn't, he was in uh, collecting uh, various works of art with John Podesta. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, me and my friend on um, my own YouTube channel, Giner Productions at youtube.com, uh, we have a podcast series called Style Talks, which is mostly around um art and aesthetics and we actually wanted to do an episode we might still do it on um all of like the podesta and the clinton art collection mm. so we wanted to like review that'd be great i'd watch that yeah, yeah that's oh, a yeah. Good idea. that sounds awesome yeah, yeah yeah i'd be well into that uh he's got coming back in october he takes his internet breaks where he like disconnects his hard drive for two months so we'll see what happens but yeah about like the gates situation is like it's one of those things where it's kind of like the Russia Gate shit, where if you say to people that no, Matt Gates was actually not proven in a court of law to be a revenge porn leaker and a cheese pizzas, they're like, no, it's like it's like the Kavanaugh thing. It's like, can you really prove a negative? You know what I mean? Like that's because they create an aura of the hermeneutics of suspicion is always placed upon these figures. Right. Well, and, I, and I, I can say that I feel vindicated on this one because the, one of the guys that uh, Gates accused of trying to extort him and all of this has now been arrested. Oh, uh, there you go. So, I, I, I mean, I think there's, there's the story right there. Uh, I, and of course that didn't get nearly the play as the initial allegation. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, also, I have to ask this. Um, is your friend Menchus, uh, uh, say his fucking name, Curtis Yarvin. Is your friend Curtis Yarvin being paid off by Peter Thiel? Is he being given Thiel bucks? You know, we're, I know him, but we're, we're not that close. Uh, oh. I, I probably wouldn't be privy to that information. Uh, but you know, I, I've only gotten four or five envelopes of cash from the Thiel people. I, I haven't really been brought in. Uh, okay. I, have to, I have to go through the third tier of initiation where they blindfold <laughs> me and they take me into the room and, and they hit me over the head with an inflatable hammer. And yeah, they, give you a paddle in like. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I haven't been fully initiated into the mysteries of, of, of Peter Thiel. Uh, well, because uh, recently it was a meme um, <laughs> on Twitter um, where, you know, like every, every single person over... Uh, 10k on twitter and the right uh is getting theo money i don't know um so well <laughs> hmm. um but and, well, yes uh, so i want to go to slav by the way so slav i want to get any final thoughts you may have on just uh our conversation the state of journalism and yeah. what is next for uh the fed post what are you guys working on oh man okay um well that last little question there i'll give my little two cents on it which is basically i think i remember we had uh almighty genie groiper on on the fed post and he said something that stuck with me which is you know that 
Um, right wingers have to constantly, you know, tell themselves that they're more powerful than they are. And left wingers need to constantly tell themselves that they're weaker than they are. And that's basically yeah. what mainstream uh, media outlets do. They basically follow those lines. And so if you want like my answer of, of yeah, what sucks about, yeah, right-wing publications, I guess it would be that they're, 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 they basically just exist most of the time to just console their supporters and tell them why they're actually not losing as badly as they are. Yeah. And then the real, and then the real answer is just like the, the hegemonic demon that is liberalism that permeates all of these institutions um, hey i'm a real liberal i don't know what hey, you're talking about that's okay and and arthur's a reactionary and that's good no right? honestly that's... i don't think these people are real liberals i think this word has been thrown around and besmirched and i don't really think it's uh, the right word to use i think here. the I nicest mean... thing that i can say about it is that i think what's going on lately especially with your kind of like woke um inquisition is that these are liberals that have jettisoned the, the 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 nice good parts of liberalism in a lot of ways um but i mean at their core uh, the people leading these places are are absolutely liberals but um yeah well, what's I mean, what's a liberal principle that they would have what's a liberal principle yeah. that they would have well because oh. it's like i'll give you this example a liberal principle okay. for me would yeah. be making sure that uh let's say uh, trustworthy Slav can be heard out as well as uh, Kathy Young, as well as Arthur Bloom, that I would be able to give uh, not only the time of day, but I will also make sure that nobody would be suppressing the voice of you or Arthur or anybody else here in this country. That to me would be a liberal value. That is the opposite of what I see happening today. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so in your actions and your behavior, you are acting on that ideal, right? But to basically uh, uh, spread, spread the idea that that, that, that uh, ideal is actually like a coherent view of how the world works in any meaningful sense is, would, would absolutely be one that, that, I think, that I think basically defangs people to, to being able to interface with power or understand it in any coherent way. Um, and uh, and I think is 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 actively counter revolutionary. I one hundred percent agree with the first part that you said before you said counter revolutionary, which I may I may not completely understand it. What I would say though, just to illustrate a bit more of my example here, is that I am the kind of liberal, and I think that this would be like quote unquote real liberalism, whatever you want to say, that hmm. a real liberal would take a look at a high level civilization, a high trust civilization and say, okay, within this civilization, we can uh, have this state of hearing other people out. However, within, let's say, a backward civilization, uh, uh, no offense, Cyber Ninja Zero, but like somewhere in uh, you know, the Middle East or wherever, where there's been a strong tradition of having these strongmen dictators all the time, uh, no, I don't think they're quite ready for... Well, the, the, problem, come on. But the problem is, is, is that liberalism has... That's just pure a, oriental, and, uh, oriental despot. That's just fucking orientalism on your part love that's not no it's not no it's not because people are not ready for certain high level civilization things in certain countries i don't yeah but love they would look at us as backwards that's as i don't care what they look at us liberalism's approach to freedom is one of quantity over quality and so you can't even get to that high trust civilization 
<laughs> well, it's with, like what um, this is a point place. that my friend Joel. Well, no, I, I disagree because we have like a, we have Japan, we have South Korea, we have Estonia, we have places out there where it's not exactly some platonic ideal, but we still have certain liberal uh, tenants there. And at uh, the I, same think, time, I, think that, I think I think the direction there. I think that the the negative direction that Japan is actively going in right now is much more chalked up to social liberalism than than the the fact that they have maintained against all odds a relatively uh, a strong sense of themselves and a high trust society right. i think that that's basically running on but no but this cubes. is a point that that uh, my friend joel brought up about um the writings of wallerstein the world systems series is that like the the basic idea is that um america lost actually by winning the cold war because when you have sort of a multipolar polarity then um liberalism had to find a way to become like in an odd way vital and embrace sort of like a uh, like a classic a, schmidtian distinction there's a dialectic going on yes like, exactly and, and I you destroy the dialectic with like little tribes and like the one unipolar global covegian world state it's like yeah fukuyama come on break the rules like yeah like yeah. i completely agree with you right does he do interviews still Oh, I, I hope to, I hope to get the yeah. guy on. But what would be your uh, better alternative here? So let's say if you would reject liberalism on the account of it leads to all of these uh, negative things we're seeing right now, what would be a better alternative to put in its place? You asking me? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, ideal personal preference. You know, you have mass class consciousness. Actual, actual answer with just like factoring in my understanding of the world and not being a naive idiot. Religion. Uh, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, simple you, as. Yeah. Well, why would religion and liberalism be necessarily separate from each other? All oh, that liberal. Come on. No, man. no, Geo. All that liberalism would basically ask is that. Oh. I don't know that people wouldn't, I don't know, discriminate on the basis of one's color of skin, shit like that. Otherwise, if you are abiding yeah, by the Yeah, okay, first no, that's a really great example, right? So so the lazy yeah. answer is to basically boil it down to I like what the stream has, has become a debate about liberalism now. I mean, sure. you can you can you can really you can really abstract that point you were making and make it one about individualism versus collectivism. Um, but I think that that specific example you gave gives like a good way of arriving at that point, which is just specifically that way of interfacing with uh, mass society through the lens of just like individual autonomy and human rights, right? right? Which yeah. like which like shouldn't be in your top three considerations for civilization, and that is one of the reasons why, um, unless you're talking about some like you know fucking garbage bin protestantism or something like that most people just don't even know what to make of real um uh valuable religion valuable religion uh does, does that make sense i, I see geo nodding but i just right, don't right, know because you don't be have person. that sort of heliospheric world mm. center at the heart of a civilization you've collapsed it well, you don't you don't anymore now that you have the internet, now that you had the telegraph even before that. No, My but see, but see, there was this great book. It was called Protocols, where your line oh. of thinking about. <laughs> oh Lord, you see, no, this is what it sorry. comes down to. Digital, <laughs> digital fucking protocol. Was it All called right. Proto? Yeah, it was this tech guy who is a delusion, and he was right. sort of like uh -oh. debunking. I know, a Slav. I know. Um, <laughs> he was debunking the idea that the internet itself is like 
this Delizian rhizome that will like at the one end, like the tech bros thought back in the day will liberate us and every government will be transparent. And on the other end, it's like um, some kind of like mass schizophrenic uh, global deterritorialized plane where nothing, there's no hierarchy and there's no And he was like demonstrating how um, this is simply isn't true. The internet is just as much of a stratified space and own space if you will to quote bap uh or a like uh, arborescent organization than anything right so like this banking on like the internet it has to an extent given the the nomad a place but it's mm. given them a skinner box as well i mean true i have no illusions that well, like an arthur you know like that online dissidents are being placed within like this weird digital skinner box all the time I mean, well, yeah, I, like I mean, it's really guy. sad if you just like log on to imagine like taking yourself from fucking 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and, and then just plopping them in front of like a smartphone or a computer and interacting yeah. with the web now. Like it's like it's like a foregone future that we completely missed out on. Like everything we we don't even go to websites. We go we we interact with web apps. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's. Hmm. Well, I like this comment from Tom Tom, who says liberalism with strong cultural standards. This is kind of contradictory. Been tried, failed. Okay, so if you're talking about this being contradictory, and then you want to offer something else up, and you say religion, that's fine. My whole thing here is who exactly is going to be, let's say, the puppeteer of your particular political project? How much power would they have to wield, and how could that possibly go wrong? That's what it comes I think, down to I for think me. That, I, think that, I think that what you do with framing questions like this, right, is, right. That you're, is that you are jumping over the fact that there are stages to this, this kind of, this scale of social change, right? And so yeah. what you want me to say is to walk into the bear trap of saying, this is the person I would put forward to do the killing, right? And, and I think what I would more say, right, who's your Stalin, Slav, right? And I'm not going to say that. Which is ironically right? why NRX kind of went by the wayside because it's like you can't just do mm. the like Barokian neo-absolutist political analysis and then do like one, two, three, clap my hands Imperium. Like it just doesn't. Uh, but I don't care I mean? if it comes in stages or not. What I'm getting to here, the reason why I asked, you're absolutely right, that the way at least I see it, whatever trajectory you go on, that's going to be one without any of those, at least the good parts of liberalism that I was talking about. How would it not result in something like that happening? And again, I'm not talking about like they're not being smaller, cohesive communities that could take care of each other. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about like in the grand scale here, if we're talking about some political project, how would that not be the end result? And that's not an end result that I want. And I don't really think that's an end result any of you guys want. I don't know. I, I guess the, the reason why I think it's a contradiction is that liberalism is basically parasitic on yeah. <laughs> previously existing asabia, social solidarity, whatever you want to call it. So we have a situation now where we have all the bad parts of liberalism, but none of the good ones. Um, we, we have kind of fracturing society, decline of standards, all of that stuff. Uh, but then we've got uh, we've got no good side, which is the like we have a very intolerant society. There's not a lot of interest in hearing what other people have to think. So we have all of the downside, but none of the upside of liberalism. 
And yeah. the only you can't create that upside with liberalism. Uh, you you have to create it with something else. It it uh, it has to be something else that creates that upside. Whether it's religion, that's maybe one answer. Um, there are probably some other answers too. But liberalism can't generate its own solution. I think I think it's uh, like what it's like. I think it's a Dugan quote or something, basically saying like liberalism is very good at delivering. Uh, very good at delivering freedom. It's very poor at giving a reason for the freedom in the first place. That's yeah. That I mean, I'm, I butchered the fuck out of that. So if anyone wants to look it up, don't hold that. No, look, me. these but, are these are very nice sounding words, but again, for me, it comes down. To, <laughs> I have a lot of those. Yes, he did. No, for me, it though comes down comes down to if you reject liberalism being a generative force, which I agree with you on, I don't think liberalism will ever be enough. That is not the reason why people live. My problem, though, is that what exactly do you want to be the generating force that's, uh, if it's implemented as some kind of a political system, that's not going to be a top-down system? That's that's what I'm trying to get here, because it well, seems like if, the only logical the answer, conclusion... What okay. if the answer is pretty simple? A, a government that has some modicum of tolerance for illiberalism, um, right? We just have to be comfortable with some degree of illiberalism, at least officially, right? Which, which, uh, like what kind of illiberalism, just to be clear, what would we be getting rid of when it comes to certain liberal aspects that we're living under today? I mean, the big one would be the anti-discrimination regime. Uh, you know, if there's, an, there's a case that the true liberal position is repealing the Civil Rights Act, right? Uh, the, age, the, age of entitlement. I, yeah, I know it's, it's yeah. Age of entitlement case. Um, you know, it, it, we're going to have a hard time unwinding the you must respect my pronouns regime without also unwinding the Civil Rights Act. You, you I, one follows from the other. Um, so, you know, there, there has to be a, like a genuine comfort with real uncoerced free association. That's fine. Uh, even when that generates outcomes that you maybe don't favor. Uh, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't favor a uh, lunch counter being closed to black people. But is that a price worth paying for a liberal society? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe it is. I think this is actually one of the most important things we ever talked about here on BTR because it's not like we have one side versus the other just trying to, you know, uh, how do I say this? Not trying to uh, overturn the uh, game board here. Instead, Arthur, what I think <laughs> that you're uh, that you're hinting at is that there would be more nuanced ways to look at what exactly are the things that we cannot live without. Because I don't think any of us here wants to be put up against the wall in a dictatorship, uh, thinking that we were going to be the ones that were going to be in charge. You know, I don't think any of us. There were plenty of commies who I've talked with who do have that assumption that they're going to be the card-carrying communist and that all, only their enemies are going to have to suffer after the revolution. I think that what you're getting at, Arthur, is that um, we are going to have to, let's say, sacrifice certain liberal ideals. But my whole point is let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. And there are going to be certain things that we're going to have to agree upon that are absolutely necessary. And I will try to make the case in future streams of why those things are going to be necessary. And as far as finding what that nuanced position is, I think we're capable of doing that. But uh, average centrist, I want to get your take on this as well. And we're going to be wrapping up soon, but I want to get yeah, your take on this. Yeah, sorry, it's getting pretty late around here. 
around here. I'm, yes. getting, I'm, I'm kind of flagging here. I'm not gonna lie. So I'll probably I'll probably jet after this next comment. Sorry, what was your question? Sorry, what was your so my Final question comment. is about uh, liberalism, where we were talking about what are certain things within liberalism that we may have a certain degree of room to change around, and what are certain things that let's say uh, people who really really hate what they're seeing today don't care about you know like oh so what if we get rid of a and b and c you know as long as we have a base trad pilled uh a lifestyle afterwards it's all worth it like I think, what would you yeah i just what don't think it should be here? enforced by like a kind of government it should be a cultural phenomenon like the whole the whole thing with it like trying to say like oh get rid of liberalism and change it for like i don't know fucking monarchy or whatever the fuck else you want to re replace it with I think that's silly. Like to me, liberalism is the foundation that you build on. It's not the thing that you actually make the be all and end all of everything. We're responsible for ourselves. We should make cultural decisions for ourselves. Like that's the point of liberalism to do that. Like for me, being from the UK, like we have a historical thing of like having like despotic uh, fucking monarchies throughout our whole history. Like, you know, it's for us, like it was to get away from that. Like, you know, we still have a monarchy in a certain respect, but like, but it's like, and this is why I actually have a lot of respect for America, really, because they really did just give the fuck you to that whole thing. And I, I think that, like, that's really important. We have to, it's, it's, it's so unique to have that happen. Like, you know, the Enlightenment and all that stuff, like, it, it's it, it, nothing like that has really happened in history before. And it's a very unique thing to happen. So we have to really cherish that and make sure that we cultivate it. But I think trying to replace it with something else, I think it's kind of silly. Like, I think you really fundamentally what you really need to do is just be more focused on what you can do culturally within liberalism. Uh, like, one precedes the other, in my opinion. Though. Yes. Yeah, get rid yeah of maybe. Yes, yeah. 100%. Also, also, Sorry to it, ruin your point. Also, any day of the week, I would take being able to make fun of the crusty-ass old queen than some, like, faceless banker in the city of London who, like, I can't even, like, imagine what they look like or who they are or anything like that which is the real aristocracy what the the what's actually yeah. going on so i mean and, and and liberalism does uh grant that person um go ahead to just run train the way they're doing and and it and it actively strips that person's subjects of being able to even right sorry sorry i don't i feel like i just came at you a little harsher than i meant to but yeah. no i mean i'm not really asked to be honest with you and to be honest with you i'm uh, it's hard for me to even put a cogent point together because it's like nearly 2 a.m here and i'm yes. fucking i'm oh, fucked man. man i'm not gonna Iron lie man. Yeah, this is so, okay yeah. listen listen everybody this is going to be the end of the stream right now but i think that this is a good cliffhanger moment average centrist i would love for you to come back on btr yeah, when you're uh, chipper and uh we're going to have more of these discussions uh onwards and upwards i would and, love uh, to yeah thank you yeah and uh, Arthur, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate the time you took uh, to uh, come here. And where could people find you? You were on Twitter at Arthur Bloom. Uh, where where else uh, could people uh, find uh, information about you, articles you've uh, written, all that good stuff? Yeah, uh, Twitter is at J underscore Arthur underscore Bloom. Uh, that's the best place right now. I've got a, a link in my profile to all the stuff I've written. Um, so yeah, you can find me there. And thanks for having me on.
And it was yeah, a great pleasure you. to have you on. And a trustworthy Slav, I wish you would have had your avatar here, but what, what could we do? I it's did never, my best, man. I know. It's never going to be perfect. But you know what? Your um, beautiful voice more than made up for not having <laughs> that beautiful Homer Simpson's avatar. Did you actually see that in the thumbnail I created that uh, I put in? the uh, that By the way, that girl is from Pokemon, that uh, news girl. But I put inside of her eyes... Uh, a reflection of your uh, Homer Simpson face. Did you see Let's, that? I'm, I'm clicking on this. Oh, so I love that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So he, here is a close-up. So you see over here, mm -hmm. Slav, right in her eye. She's in love with you, man. Would you marry yeah. her? That's the, you know, I'm not, I'm not much of a weeb. So I'm going to have to say no on that one. But I will oh, say God. that's, that's the, that's the look in someone's eye. The last thing they see before <laughs> they're utterly yeah. destroyed out of believing in liberalism. No, oh. no, this has been great. This has it's been great. Vaporized. Yeah, absolutely bodied. And of course, you can follow GeoTwitter.com uh, slash GiantGeo. Uh, uh, I hope I just don't, there's no downfall after this. I don't know. What am I saying? My God. Wait, what downfall? What do you mean? Well, I, I, never mind. Just don't worry about it. I wasn't that bad, was I? No, no, no. It's just, By the way, I have an idea. I dealt for, with enough e drama this week. I, really I have an idea for a furry what? character, so we should have a furry. No, let's stop the stream named, right now. Named stop. G named Goodbye, Julius. Goodbye. Julius E. Vola, because it's a vole, and I could add a little. I could add a little. Uh, like a vole weevil. Yeah, I could add a little eyepiece to him, Julius E. Bola, oh. you know, like. Or what about Julius E. Boa, and it's a boa constriction. A boa. Oh, that that's... was like the one on the the pets the pet cemetery in The Simpsons, yeah. where it's like Humphrey Boagard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's Evola, what it would be is it would be like a bunch of uh, people with the lawnmowers, you know, like uh, working on the uh, backyard, and it's like a war zone, and. Uh, Evola is just walking through that war zone. Like he, he used even to care. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. The right. other voles are Jesus scared and they're Christ. in their holes. <laughs> one of my favorite, one of my, one of my favorite replies I've ever read by by a libtard was I think it was the New York Times. It was that article about Bannon and the one like just like I could just imagine like the upper middle class like affluent white woman like trying to like strain herself to like read about julius evola the the quick reply was julius evola certainly is like ebola and i'm like wow that's just like <laughs> all right listen guys i don't want to keep i don't want to keep you long this is the yeah end of the i gotta street. go eat, thank man. you guys so much for watching uh follow me on twitter at uh, lovepo uh, follow Average Centrist. Here is Average Centrist's uh, Twitter. You got to get the numbers up. So this is what we're going to be doing. Everybody follow Average Centrist on Twitter right now. And yeah, uh, I, I really like your avatar here. It's like this girl with the Cheerios on yeah, her Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, that's why I picked it. <laughs> there it's we go. Funny. I thought you were an Asian woman. I got all excited. I am an Asian woman. <laughs> Dude, that's how I identify, Gio. Come on. <laughs> all right, I just followed you. Excellent. Uh, all right. Beautiful. Everybody keep...